No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, no comparison, and what I think now is the fourth week running, no intro music. Uh, this is Banal of America Audio, Season 8, live, episode number 832, so we're coming down the home stretch of Season 8, and tonight's program is going to delve into the mystery of cattle mutilations, which is a topic we have not covered on the program in depth ever which is really surprising. I'm sure we've danced around it and touched on it and on occasion mentioned it, maybe even spent five or ten minutes on it, but we've never really looked at cattle mutilations with the microscope of BOA Audio, and that's what we're going to do tonight. Our guest is Christopher O'Brien. He was previously on the show to talk about his book, Stalking the Trickster, and now this time around he's Stalking the Herd, which is his new book, (laughs) Stalking the Herd, Unraveling the Cattle Mutilation Mystery. This thing's massive, folks. I have the e-coffee. Otherwise, I like with the big books, I like to slam them on the desk so people can hear how how uh, powerful they are. But if I did that, I'd break my iPad. Yeah. So it's it's monstrous, yeah. though, and that's a good uh, descriptor for a book on cattle mutilations. But it's monstrously yeah. in-depth. It's it's definitive, for sure. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Uh, it's going to be, a, I think, a fun and enlightening conversation here tonight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Uh, yeah, the, the actual copy of the book the hard copy of it is uh almost two pounds it's like oh my god and i took 300 pages out and it's still 600 pages huh oh my god <laughs> jeez yeah well i'm, I'm so it really I'm would have been like a, a thousand, follow-up a thousand pages yeah yeah wow. uh, i'm already working on a follow-up book which analyzes this book wow i guess i'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll have to call it stocking the stalkers yeah, that's to kind of go with the uh, the trilogy. <laughs> that's meta. What is that now? What is I was going to ask you about that to completely break the, the the fourth wall. What's the the stalking the trickster and then stalking the herd? Is that intentional? I presume it had to have dawned on you. So what's what's the what's the theme there? Well, you know, I, I I've always envisioned uh, my writing in trilogies. Um, the first two books kind of lay out the data, and then the second book or the third book, rather, kind of sums it all up. Cherry picks the best cases and analyzes, um, you know, the first two books. So, you know, the Mysterious Valley, Enter the Valley, was kind of summed up in Secrets of the Mysterious Valley. And then Stalking the Tricksters, uh, Stalking the Herd, and Stalking the Stalkers is looking at a tricksterish element, basically, that's inherent, I think, in, in all 
uh, aspects of the paranormal and, uh, you know, these mysterious things that we talk about on your show and my show, The Paracast. And I, I'm working with, I think, in my estimation, the most creative, most intelligent thinker in the field, uh, David Perkins. Uh, he has a master's from Yale University. He's been my mentor for over 20 years. Um, he was absolutely invaluable in helping research uh, Stalking the Herd. He's been involved in the cattle mutilation mystery since 75. Uh, he could be called the grandfather of mutology. I, I, I'm not sure if he <laughs> particularly liked that that, uh, that label, but uh, he is. He knows more about this than anybody, including myself. And um, I, I'm going to be co-authoring uh, the follow-up book to Stalking the Herd with David Perkins. Um, it it's really has to be done. Somebody has to analyze all this data that uh, that we have and that I present in Stalking the Herd. It is filled with more more data about this particular mystery than I think most people uh, could, can handle. It's just so overwhelming. It really is. It overwhelms me, and and I was the one that wrote the darn thing. Well, what do you what do you think can be gained from synthesizing the data? Find, try to find some kind of pattern or or something like that. Right. Yeah, we're going to be looking for patterns, looking for agendas, uh, identifying players. Uh, you know, really attempting to. You know, it's it's like throwing mud against a wall, and whatever sticks, uh, you know, it's almost Occam's razor. Uh, you know, whatever sticks is what you got to go with. And because this is so complicated, this subject is is so complicated that um, it really deserves a serious analytical, uh, you know, treatment. And stalking the herd basically is presenting all the data to the best of my ability dovetailing together and coalescing together uh, up to 12 different databases. Um, I've, wow. I've been in contact over, over 20 years with most of the uh, movers and shakers that have ebbed and flowed throughout this uh, this investigative process that began back in the 60s, really. And I really was well-positioned to be able to um, distill all these databases together uh, in a way that um, nobody's attempted to do before. And And until you really have all the data in one place and you can really look at it, it's impossible to analyze it. So now that we have all the data in one place, we're we're going to uh, take our best shot at really uh, attempting to completely unravel <laughs> the cattle mutilation <laughs> if that's even possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not even sure it's possible, well, it's, but we're going to give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange, strange thing. I guess let's I'm, let's catch the folks up to speed. I guess for the folks. Uh, because right. cattle mutilations have kind of slipped into the into the background of of the whole paranormal milieu in the last like I don't know fifteen twenty years or something like that. So I guess let's start sort of and give catch them up to speed a little bit. Uh, sort of sort of define cattle mutilations form. Tell them a little bit about how it all sort of uh, burst onto the scene a little bit, and we'll kind of trace the evolution of this this mystery as as we know it. Well. Humans have been raising and domesticating animals for thousands of years, and uh, throughout that time period, there have been outbreaks uh, from the 1600s, basically, onward that, that are documented of all kinds of livestock that have been found in a mutilated condition. And by that, I mean an animal that's dead for no apparent reason, uh, missing various soft tissue organs. Generally, it's the reproductive organs uh, The the in a female animal, the 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 rear end has been cored out, the reproductive tract has been cored out, uh, like a plug has been pulled out on the male animals, uh, the external genitalia is gone. 
um, oftentimes an eye or an ear is missing. There would be a, hot, a, a patch of flesh that appears to have been uh, expertly excised off the animal. Uh, a, a classic mutilation uh, is generally a cow that has those, uh, you know, disfigurements, uh, for lack of a better term. But also the, the flesh on the, on the jawbone has been, it looks like, been expertly uh, pulled off, sliced off, and then, and then removed. And the tongue has gone deep within the esophagus. And uh, that, that, to me, is the classic mutilation. When you see that, that okay. bleached white jawbone and that tongue is gone from deep within the throat, that's very, very difficult to explain. Uh, veterinary pathologists have attempted uh, at times over the years to duplicate uh, some of these surgeries, and they've been able to do it, but with great difficulty uh, under lab conditions with lights, not out in the field in the dark, <laughs> you know, yeah, skulking yeah, yeah. around. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this is a mystery that's been around for a long time. I, I was able to finally get the earliest documentation of a case that uh, occurred in 1605 and 1606 around London during the reign of James I, and uh, we do have a, an official you know, statement within the court uh, of James' records uh, pertaining to hundreds of sheep that were discovered mutilated uh, in the shires around London. And they... The last sentence of the entry is very, very intriguing to me. It says, uh, of these things, sundry conjectures can be made, but m- most tendeth to agree. Uh, it, something about fireworks. Uh, if you want, I can read you the actual quote, but uh, it hmm. tendeth toward fireworks is, is how the quote ends here. It's, um, while slaughters of sheep have been made in some places to number 100, in others less, where nothing is taken from the sheep but their tallow and some inward parts, whole carcasses and the fleece remaining still behind. Of this sundry conjectures, but most agree that it tendeth toward fireworks. Now, if that's not an intriguing <laughs> description, yeah, that's I don't know weird. What that is. Yeah. Well, you know, when I when I look at these uh, these these animal death cases, which really peaked in the 1970s, where hundreds and hundreds of animals were being reported. Uh, in 18 states around the West. Um, it was the, the AP story of the year in Colorado in 75. Uh, law enforcement was chasing around. Uh, ranchers had vigilante groups set up, uh, armed, uh, uh, you know, pickup truck loads of armed guys were running around, shooting at helicopters. It really was, uh, you know, a major deal uh, in the Midwest and in, in the West in the 70s. But since then, uh, Many of these cases are not being covered in the media, and and these cases are still occurring. In fact, we had seven animals mutilated uh, in the end of August during the supermoon in Werfano County in uh, south southern Colorado. So these cases are still occurring. Also down in South America, there have been thousands of cases that have been reported since 2002, right at the end of a major outbreak of foot and, and mouth disease in the cattle herds down there, Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, Paraguay. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of animals were reported. Uh, one case uh, featured a 60,000-gallon stock tank drained completely of water with no evidence that the water had ever been there or no water around the tank, and 19 mutilated animals were placed inside the empty wa- uh, stock tank. Uh, these cases are not. Yes, these cases are not That's being weird, covered in man. the That's weird, man. Jesus. So I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you there. That's just... Who's, what the hell? What? How do these things get stuffed in there? That's crazy. <laughs> well, yeah, um, there's real good documentation on that one. That was not the only one. There were, uh, I think, one or two other cases where uh, animals were found mutilated within empty stock tanks that 
how do you drain 60,000 gallons of water in a, in a matter of a few hours and, and leave no evidence of, of how it was done? That, that would have created a huge uh, mud puddle outside the tank if it had you know, just been – if they just opened up the tap on the tank and let it all drain out. I mean, it would take hours right. for that to drain. But, but in, and then, uh, you know, to put the animals in the tank – uh, the empty tank. Uh, it would didn't take have a forever. Lid on it. Well, it, it would be. Uh, it, what's what's the motivation? So you know, when I when I wrote stalking the tricksters, it was based on the tricksterish elements that I discovered while attempting early on in the uh, early '90s to investigate cattle mutilations, and I kept bumping up against this this like trickster kind of energy or a mechanism that we talked about when I was on your show last. And this is taking that and applying that trickster kind of element to the cattle mutilation phenomenon. This is an incredibly uh, dense, uh, it's like a Gordian knot. And what I've attempted to do with this book is, is place all this data in one place so that we can at least have it there to look at. Obviously, garbage yeah. in, garbage out, I understand that. Um, you know, and as soon as the media gets involved generally, um, any dead cow that looks strange to the amateur uh, eye is, is going to be reported as mutilated, uh, or most you know most of these cases uh, that are media induced, uh, let's say, are, are by and large I think uh, un, sort of unusual looking scavenger action. Um, the debunkers, of course, and the skeptics say that there is no such thing as a cattle mutilation or a lives, unexplained livestock death. This is all just predation and and or scavenger action. Uh, you know, I had one researcher tell me, "Oh, it's it's vultures. They actually kill the cows and then they disfigure them and and uh, leave these uh, surgical incisions and all this." And you know, I've seen magpies actually carve out the rear end of a cow in a perfect circle. I mean, there are a lot of cases that are misidentified as mutilations that are they're just mundane, strange looking, but mundane scavenger action and. Usually when the media gets involved regionally or nationally, then everybody's always, you know, they're out looking around and they're, they've got their eyes open for, for dead livestock. And if they see what they don't understand as scavenger action, they report it as a mutilation. So you have all this kind of, you know, muddying up of the waters. It's very difficult to, yeah, yeah. to uh, you know, cut through that. And I think in this book what I've done is I've, I've highlighted the cases, and there's well over a thousand, uh, probably several thousand cases that I've highlighted that have unusual elements that fly in the face of a mundane scavenger action debunking sort of uh, offhand dismissal. And uh, there's so much evidence. I mean, we've found nicotine, mescaline, anticoagulants, ketamine, all sorts of tranquilizing agents, barbiturates, um, poisons, uh, all sorts of chemical agents have been found within some of these mutilated animals. Animals have been discovered with uh, one pregnant cow, for instance, was autopsied, and they, they, they broke into the womb, and they found that the, the, the unborn fetus had been mutilated. Uh, you know, what's the motivation there, and, and how do you do that? So, obviously, we're, we're dealing with something that needs um, to, you know, you need to put all this information in one place so that it can be scrutinized and, and analyzed properly. Uh, anything less than that, it, it's just going to be, you know, playing into the debunkers' hands, and they're just going to dismiss all this um, as nothing but uh, media-induced hysteria. And boy, I'll tell you, after you read the book, you'll you're going to walk away scratching your head, going, "Well, there's definitely something going on, but but who's responsible and why they're doing it? Ah, you know, that's open to interpretation." You know, I often joke in my lectures, uh, you know, for every 
uh, type of scenario or culprit or answer that you come up with, if I take the opposite side and argue against that, I'll win. Because there's just enough data to support uh, you know, scavenger action uh, that the debunkers say, uh, you know, occultists, uh, you know, ritual blood sacrifice, uh, military uh, experimentation uh, uh, for various reasons, um, you know, ETs coming down uh, to do this. For, for each one of those possible explanations, there's enough data to support it, but there's way more data to refute it. So what does that leave you with? It leaves you with multiple groups involved, with multiple agendas, piggybacking their agendas on top of one another, creating this Gordian knot of, of plausible deniability. And it, it's ingenious the way the whole thing has been set up. And uh, I think this book is, is really, is, you know, it's, it should have been written 20 or 30 years ago by somebody. And, you know, I just happened to unfortunately sign the contract to write the book. And about a week after I did, I said, what did I do? Oh, my God, you know. And 18 <laughs> months later, you know, I, I was banging my head against the wall going, why did you sign that contract? But I knew I was going to do it at some point. So, so there you go. Here we are, and there you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a very complex mystery, as you said. You kind of hit on the four big theories of what this thing is. Um, you know, aliens, cultists, government, secret government stuff, or just natural phenomena. Right. That's the, it seems to be the big four uh, reasonings behind all this. It's very weird, though, because like you said, it, it's kind of like, in a way, like the UFO phenomenon, where once you try to pin it on one thing, there's all these other possibilities that come up, where you're like, oh, wait, it can't be that, because it's because of cases X, Y, and Z. So, it's right. very, right. Uh, it's very, it's very confusing. Now, how did this whole thing, you know, you said you have some cases way back in history, but how did this whole thing burst sort of into the consciousness of of the paranormal field. Like he said earlier, um, that your friend Perkins is, is, is the father or the grandfather of, of, uh, what did you, uh, mutology, right? Is what you call it. Mutology, <laughs> right? like. Yeah. So I guess like, take me through the, the history of mutology. How did this all, how did this all begin? How, how did these people even sort of realize that this was happening? That's, that's really interesting because the first major case that it, it received international, attention was the Snippy the Horse case in uh, about, you know, 40 miles from where I lived for 13 years in Colorado. This was in September, the first week of September 1967. This horse was discovered. Uh, we've never had a case before or since like it, but the case uh, featured a horse found dead for no apparent reason. I'd have been alive just the day, you know, the day before. It was discovered missing all the tissue, the muscle, the hide, the meat from the tip of its nose to... Uh, all the way around to a, like its collar, so the neck and skull were totally denuded of all uh, flesh, and uh, the upper uh, organs, the respiratory organs, the heart was uh, pulled out with no apparent way to get through the rib cage and all that. The brain was gone with the bride drain case, brain case, and the bones were bleached white, like they'd been in the sun for 30 years, quote unquote. This became an international news story, and uh, it. it Calls from China, France, South America, all over Europe uh, were made to the ranch, uh, you know, the rancher family. Um, they initially tried to kind of cover it up. They didn't really want people to know about it, but word got out. People started tramping out there to the site. And, you know, then the, the press, about a month after the case, the press picked up on it. And it, it hit the wire services and became an international news story. Well, the day before, 
uh, Nellie Lewis, the owner of the horse, her mother was doing the dishes uh, in in the in the ranch house, and she she had what she thought was like a UFO sighting right outside the window over the corral, and there was a big silvery object out there. Um, she didn't have her glasses on, so she couldn't see details, but it was you know apparent that something was. You know, actually, it uh, lopped off the top of the corner of uh, of a fence post on the corral, and so the owner of the horse made the you know understandable leap that, and this is one of the headlines uh, uh, that was featured that flying saucers killed my horse. When I was ten years old, I remember <laughs> seeing the the you know the Inquirer, whatever you know, the mm. of the you know 1967 Inquirer type magazine at the supermarket, and they had a picture of this horse lying on the ground, people looking at it and flying saucers killed my horse and of course as, as being a a little kid with you know my own personal experience when i was six or seven um you know i really just ate it up and i read that article before i even got home from the store with my mom and um so that's how i found out about the the phenomenon to begin with um as a 10 year old and uh and knew about the san luis valley where it happened and uh knew about snippy but it wasn't until really the 70s, where hundreds and hundreds of cases started being reported all over the Midwest, all over the, uh, the Rocky Mountain region. Um, we have as many as uh, eight states hit in, in a single night at the height of this in October uh, of 75. And this is when, you know, people started reporting uh, weird lights out in their pastures. They started reporting, um, you know, stuff that, that couldn't be explained with a conventional explanation. Uh, many hundreds of helicopter sightings over the years have been have been logged by ranchers, uh, you know, that have had their cattle uh, victimized, if you will. So we have this weird kind of aerial com uh, component that's that's been involved. Uh, strange lights. Um, there have been very very few cases, just a handful of cases that feature any sort of ETs or or real obvious structured craft. Of course, Linda Moulton Howe has kept this subject alive for many years uh in her own way but but with an agenda to you know to put the whole blame on on aliens and there's way more data to support you know some sort of government uh possible scenario let's say um or there's evidence to suggest that even some of these cases uh have to do with ritual magic um there's cases where rich ranchers are uh, doing mutilation cases to their neighbors to try to drive them out of business and, and appropriate their ranch land. Uh, there's a oh. number of very compelling cases like that. Um, 70% of the ranches that were in operation at the height of the number of cattle in this country, we had more cattle in the United States in 1975, and that was also the height of meat consumption in the United States. Since then, it's, it's totally been, it's almost halved since then. Uh, in terms of how much meat a person eats uh, on average uh, per year, and how many cattle head of cattle are actually on the in, in the environment in North America, this has almost uh, gone down about 40 percent since '75. But what's really compelling to me is 70 to 80 percent of the ranching operations that were in business in '75 are now out of business, and instead we have these huge feedlots with tens and thousands of animals all stuffed together and you yeah, know, these rendering plants. Yeah, fact, yeah, factory, uh, factory farming. And interestingly enough, many of the areas of highest incidence of cattle mutilations in the '70s are now where you have these factory, uh, these huge industrialized factory operations. So I think there's there's some sort of uh, connecting point there, uh, which I do mm. go into uh, in the book. And um, also, you know, we have 
the emergence of transmissible spongiform encephalopathy, which is, of course, mad cow disease in, in, in cattle, scrapie in sheep, chronic wasting disease in deer and elk, Kutzfeldt-Jakob's disease in humans. We have our first indications that TSE, transmissible spongiform encephalopathy, has you know, emerges in the environment around the time of Snippy in 67, and then it kind of goes away, and then it starts to come back. And by the mid-'80s in England, of course, uh, you know, they ended up having a huge wave of mad cow disease before they even knew what it was. They, they didn't even know that prions, these misfolded proteins, were responsible for creating mad cow disease. At the time, they didn't know. But because they were so afraid of this uh, disease, uh, which is 100% fatal, by the way, uh, makes AIDS and Ebola look like a bad cold, um, <laughs> before they were even aware of what was causing this, uh, they ended up culling the entire herds. Every head of livestock in the United Kingdom was was slaughtered and then cremated. Uh, and, you know, it started in 86. It ended in, in about 98. So it was about a 10, 12-year period where mad cows swept through the United Kingdom. And by the end of it, the only thing that they could do was kill all the cows. Well, at the time, they didn't realize that prions can survive um, up to 2,500 to 3,000 degree heat. Well, they were, you know, cremating these animals with about 1,000 degrees. So, yeah. you know, all that bone ash, uh, you know, which went into a lot of fertilizer that was sent around the world, uh, you know, there was a lot of, you know, active prions. Oh, God, in they never really got rid of it anyway, yeah. Jesus. So, I mean, it, it, this whole thing is so involved. There's, there's, there's so many permutations. There's so many possible agendas. There's so much smoking gun evidence to point the finger around. And what I've attempted to do with Stalking the Herd is, is at least present as objectively as possible, not throw any data out, not factor anything in, be as objective and, in, and as intellectually honest as I can be, and present the data and uh in the second book, we're going to analyze the data, but there was so much data, I could barely get it into a 600-page book, and, and, and it's small type, and it's single-spaced. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Now, did you you mentioned Latin America. Has uh, Do we know about these cattle mutilations in anywhere other than the U.S. and, uh, and Latin America? Because oh. like you talk about this, this mad cow outburst, you would think that if there was some kind of connection between trying to get to the bottom of diseased cows and surreptitious government work, clandestine projects or whatever, that certainly they would want to dig into those mad English cows. So do we know anything? Have we seen this kind of thing pop up anywhere else? You know, Russia and China are big countries. You'd think that we'd see stuff there. Yeah, we have. Um, Basically, the the rule of thumb is if it's a Christian country, uh, chances are you're going to have cattle mutilation reports. And I, I think I'm the first one to really point that out, that these cases almost exclusively occur in Christian countries. And uh, I think that's maybe a very telling uh, statistic. Another statistic that uh, I find very um, compelling is the fact that India, um, of course, in India they, they worship cows. Uh, cows are allowed yeah. to wander anywhere they want. Uh, it's uh, you know one of the worst crimes you can do to kill a cow in India uh, if the, if a cow wants to go into your house, uh, you have to let it. Uh, people, uh, it's good luck to feed one of these cows just wandering around. Uh, India is the largest exporter of beef. Did you know that? No, <laughs> they I don't, don't understand how they, they can eat, do that. 
so they don't eat them, so they sell them. <laughs> oh, um, my God. That's weird. Yeah, and the sacred cow of India is what? What breed? The Brahma, right? The Brahma cow, the white sacred cows of India. Well, every type of cow that you can possibly put your finger on has been discovered in a mutilated condition. Most of the cows are hybrids of, of you know, a, a mixture of, of bloodlines and breeds. I have yet to find a single case of a Brahma cow, bull, or steer that's been mutilated anywhere. Wow. Well, that so what you're saying is that India is behind all this. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm not saying that, but I, maybe they are. <laughs> We've cracked the mystery here on the show, folks. Yeah, really. India, the okay. secret government of India yeah. is doing something to oh, our I cows. Guess. Okay. This is all cowboys and Indians. Oh, there you go. <laughs> wow. That's strange, though. That's really weird. Uh, I didn't even know that they exported so much. So much. Uh, so, so, it's, so, so, so we do know that this stuff is going on in other countries, I guess? A lot of it's buffalo. Uh, we've had cases of mutilated seals in the Orkney Islands, all these seals washing up with the identical mutilation marks. Uh, of a pod of 50 dolphins were discovered in the south of France mutilated. We've had mutilated dolphins a, a, along the Gulf Coast. Uh, thousands and thousands of domesticated cats have been discovered cut in half, like clipped with a giant pair of scissors in, in most of your urban areas in the West. We've had mm. pigs, sheep, deer, elk, humans. Uh, I even had a case of a chipmunk mutilation, believe it or not. I had a case of a oh, coyote yeah. mutilation uh, that was lying next to a mutilated cow. Um, so any warm-blooded animal, basically, uh, in a in a Christian country, uh, has been discovered in a mutilated condition. That's a bit of a generality, but but I think it's uh, it's you know almost almost totally accurate. So most of the cases are cattle. Um, a second on the list would probably be horses, uh, followed you know closely by by sheep and and pigs. Um, what I find interesting is when when I really started researching back how particular memes uh, began, you know, the memes of who's responsible, you know, uh, tracing back the occultist theory, tracing back the, yeah. the alien theory, um, I came up with some very interesting uh, revelations. Uh, for instance, uh, the mutilation phenomenon didn't really become, you know, a big meme in the culture until uh, 74, 75. Um, but in 71 you had a rash of hundreds and hundreds of pigs being stolen in Iowa and in parts of the Midwest and, and, and tons of helicopter sightings uh, in conjunction with stolen swine. And it got so bad that vigilante groups were, were being formed and, and gun battles uh, occurred between helicopter crews and ranchers uh, trying to protect their, their pigs and their livestock. Uh, in one case, uh, a gunfire was even taken by the rancher from a team on the ground, and a plus being fired at by helicopter crews. And so in 71, what we have is, is a bunch of, of rustling going on in the Midwest. It's almost like they hadn't really figured out that if they leave the animals there, they have plausible deniability, so they were stealing them. And this, of course, generates law enforcement reports, uh, official investigations, it really gets ranchers uh, you know, higher up, and they, and they start forming vigilante groups and start patrolling around, um, and lots of gun, guns are being <laughs> you know, toted around. Um, yeah. So that, that approach evidently didn't work, because in 72, we don't have a single mutilation case. Oh. Not a single, 
single one. The oh, only yeah. unusual animal death case that I can find was a bunch of caribou up in Alaska. <laughs> uh, Strange, and then, yeah. 72, you know, we again, we have these rustling cases happening and lots of helicopter reports. And then in 73, wherever there were helicopter reports, you don't have any reports of UFOs in the huge wave of UFO sightings that happened uh, in the Midwest and the Southeast uh, United States in 73, one of the largest waves on record. But those UFO reports were all in areas that didn't feature helicopter reports and rustling the year, you know, in the years prior. So there's okay. some interesting kind of kind of trends in in the data, if you will, um, that I, I look at and and uh, kind of go into some uh, some depth in, in in attempt to analyze that. Uh, so it wasn't really until '73, at the end of '73, beginning of '74, and then definitely it goes full speed from '75 to '80. I mean, thousands of animals uh, were reported to law enforcement, to newspapers, to uh, uh, you know political figures, um, to ranching yeah. associations, livestock boards. Uh, it, it just went quantum. Uh, and the the chapters in the book on the, you know the the waves of the seventies uh, are just voluminous. I mean, there's so many good quality cases, and and you know I didn't obviously I, I had nowhere near the room to to devote to really put all the, the cases in there. I picked out the cases that had unusual elements that you can't explain away as predator action. Um, yeah. And, you know, factoring anything out, I'm not saying it's not ETs. I'm not saying it's not the government. I'm not saying it's not cultists. I'm just putting the data out there and, and looking for trends, looking for the types of connecting data that will give us some sort of insight on what the what the motivations could be to do this, number one, and number two, who is responsible. And uh, the fact that nobody's ever been, you know, charged or convicted of a cattle mutilation uh, since 1902 when somebody was in England, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle got him off after he'd been sentenced and was in jail. Uh, he was a horse slasher convicted of a cattle mutilation, according to Charles Fort, which I find very interesting. Uh, just like Snippy the Horse is considered the first cattle mutilation, and, and it was a horse. Uh, yeah. So some weird, you have some weird themes and this weird kind of juxtaposition of cow and horse. And, uh, you know, we, we haven't even talked about the domestication of cattle that began, you know, 10,500 B.C. Eighty animals uh, have basically been, uh, you know, they've done a genetic test of, of cattle around the world, and they all boil down to a single herd in northern Iran from 10,500 B.C., uh, you have 940-something breeds of cattle now. There's 1.37 billion cattle on the planet. They're the largest Whoa. source of freshwater. They're the, the single biggest reason why they're cutting down the rainforest to make more grazing land for cows. Uh, you know, cattle are, uh, you know, the Indians, when they first encountered cattle, uh, North American Indians, uh, uh, Native Americans, uh, referred to them as hooved locusts because they were so detrimental to the environment. And, uh, you know, they're the largest source of the creation of deserts on the planet. Um, of course, we all know where anthrax comes from. Uh, we all, uh, you know, are familiar with, uh, you know, hopefully with mad cow disease and, and, and the possible help, health implications of that particular uh, scourge. So, you know, the, the book really starts 30,000 years ago with the first cave paintings uh, of cattle and, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, other yeah. 
all the way to uh, literally uh, a couple of weeks before the book was turned into the publisher. We had had a case in uh, southeastern, uh, southwestern Nebraska where uh, a mutilated cow was found with its head in a hole in the pasture. Uh, a very bizarre case. Uh, so, you know, again, it's a huge subject. Uh, there's so many implications for human health, uh, for for the environment, um, for the sanctity of these animals. We worshipped cattle for thousands of years. The bull and the and the cow, even to this day in India, the cow is is revered. But I trace yeah. the the progression of religious belief and and the the you know, sanctity and the reverence for cattle. I, I trace it forward uh, through history. And uh, back then they were systematically slaughtered, but with with very, very devout religious intention. Now we ritualistically slaughter them unceremoniously, uh, 400 an hour in some of the larger rendering plants. Uh, And, you know, because we're cramming all these cows together, uh, you know, in feedlots, you know, obviously they're in very unsanitary conditions, so we have to pump them full of antibiotics. 80% of the antibiotics used in this country go into cattle. Um, and to get them out of the feedlot and get them fat faster and get them, you know, to the weight that they need uh, to slaughter them, we pump them full of growth hormones. And so most of your growth hormones used in this country go into cattle uh, to get them out of the feedlot and out of the unsanitary conditions. So, you know, this really opens up a huge ball of wax. It it opens up the whole uh, power of the beef industry in this country. It's one of the most powerful lobbies in this country you will never hear about. Unless you're Oprah and you say you'll never eat another hamburger again, and you're slapped immediately <laughs> with a tube. Uh, I eat meat. I love beef. I'm, I I don't eat it very often, but when I do, I know where it comes from. It's grass-fed. It's local. It doesn't have hormones in it. It's not pumped full of grain like they do in feedlots. Uh, cattle yeah. really aren't designed to eat grain, but if you pump them full of 1,700 pounds of grain, you can put 400 pounds of weight on a, on an animal. And if you put a bunch of growth, growth hormones in there, you can get it out of the feedlot quicker. It'll grow faster. Um, these are all, I think, issues that are really uh, not addressed when you talk about the cattle mutilation phenomenon. It opens up this cultural uh, closet that most of us don't want to go into. We don't want to know that when we go to a fast food restaurant, up to 1,000 different animals' meat could be in one hamburger. That's scary to me. Yeah, that's just that's crazy really stuff. But the, you're right because the, 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 there's two things going on here. You've got the mystery of cattle mutilations, and then if you just hone in on just the cattle part, you've got a whole mess of other things going on. Like you said, this factory farming, uh, just the sheer just the sheer uh, massiveness of the whole thing is scary. When you get into, you don't even need to get into the fact that some are turning up mutilated. You just talk about the strangeness of what the hell's going on with cattle, and it's like, whoa, this is. This is some frightening stuff. Now, just to sort of put a bow on the the evolution of all this, as we've talked about it, you know, the 60, 67 was snippy, and then sort of went, there was this sort of like pig disappearance, as you're saying, and it went dormant for a little while, then it exploded in the 70s through the early 80s. I guess what, what you know, what doused the fire of uh, cattle mutilations in the mainstream? How come, because nowadays, like you said, no one really talks about it anymore, and, and we don't and hear much about it anymore, so what happened? How about Three words: Linda Moulton Howe, <laughs> and okay. the whole and the whole alien agenda. This is all aliens coming down, gathering genetic material. That gave it the giggle factor that the the media uh, required in order to not take it seriously. 
if we say that these cows are being uh, predated upon and, and cut up by aliens, then how can you take this thing seriously? That is, uh, if you really want my honest-to-God, unvarnished uh, opinion, that's what happened. You know, and when people say, well, well, it's obviously, you know, cattle mutilations, yeah, yeah, well, it's aliens, right? It's like, uh, well, yeah, that's what you've been, you know, programmed with that information for the last uh since 1989, when uh, Alien Harvest, uh, the only real <laughs> proponent book about the validity of the, of the mystery, that's the only book that really has come out, and it was privately published and not many copies were sold. Um, you know, the Rommel uh, report in 1980 debunked the whole thing when uh, Kenneth Rommel, a retired uh, FBI bank robber expert, was uh, paid $50,000 by the uh, district attorney of uh, Santa Fe, Northern New Mexico uh, district, to uh, do a study of the cattle mutilations because so many were happening in, in New Mexico. And Harrison Schmidt, the uh, last man to walk on the moon, was being petitioned by the ranching community to do something about it. So we have Kenneth Rommel running around uh, the end of 79 into the beginning of 1980 uh, trying to study the phenomenon and uh, and do testing on on about eighty something animals. Unfortunately, the uh, mutilations weren't going on that particular time period in New Mexico. They switched completely and went to Canada <laughs> and uh, parts of the Upper Midwest and the Rocky Mountain states. So basically, what he was doing is running around, uh, you know, visiting scared ranchers who were reporting animals mutilated and. You know, probably the vast majority of them, except for 14, which they couldn't really, uh, they said, oh, there may be something here. But the rest of them were all just mundane scavenger action. A vast majority of cases, once the media gets involved, are mundane scavenger cases. I'll be the first to admit that, that uh, the bunkers are right up to a certain point. And uh, if Kenneth Rommel was going around testing cases that weren't high strange, that didn't have, uh, you know, scalpel, uh, you know, cut hair follicles, the, the types of things that the investigators look for in the field, obviously he's going to debunk the whole thing. And just like, uh, you know, Edward Condon did in the Condon Report for UFOs in, in 68, 69, 67 to 69, uh, Condon actually investigated the Snippy case, uh, by the way. Most people oh, don't well, know yeah, that. I was going, case. I was just going to draw the comparison. It sounds like the, the Rommel Report was the same, exactly. same agenda as the Condon Report. Pretty much. And... Uh, so if he doesn't have real cases to examine, um, obviously he's just going to whitewash the whole thing and, and say there's nothing to see here, folks, move along. So it's a combination of, of uh, the 1983 book, Mute Evidence, which, uh, again, was looking at a lot of mundane scavenger action. The cases that were real were downplayed in the book, and the cases that were equivocal were, were highlighted. So you have that. Uh, they got what eighty thousand dollar advance to write the book, and they they ended up selling less than five thousand copies, and they ended up pulping uh, tens of thousands of copies of the book, because the publisher wanted some mystery. They, they wanted oh we want aliens, we want uh, government conspiracy. And when they came up and said there's nothing to see here, move along, nobody bought the book. So new evidence uh, ended up uh, <laughs> getting pulped. You know, they, uh, sixty thousand copies I think uh, ended up getting pulped and. Uh, they ate the $80,000 advance they paid the two writers. Um, so a combination of that, the Rommel Report, and then in the interim, uh, Linda Howe getting involved and cherry-picking the cases that featured unusual lights, um, You know, people thinking that uh, aliens were involved, highlighting their testimony. Then you have this plausible deniability that's magnified. 
you have not only the plausible deniability of debunkers and, and skeptics, but then you have someone coming in and saying, well, it's all aliens. So that you want to know why it went off the map? That's why. And it's a perfectly designed program of sleight of hand. Let's say it's this, say it's that, and everybody will just not pay attention anymore. But these cases have continued. I personally have investigated or researched over 200 cases um, uh, from 93 to 2010 was my last case. Yeah. Uh, so there are a lot of these cases occurring. Uh, they're occurring uh, all through the cattle herds in South, South America. We've had cases in Panama, Nicaragua, Puerto Rico, the Canary Islands, uh, Mexico, uh, Australia, uh, several of the Western European countries, uh, England, Ireland, Scotland. Uh, we've had, like I said, dolphin cases. We've had seals. We've had cases, uh, uh, these half-cat cases, which I still don't know what to make of. There's thousands of domesticated cats that have been found cut in half and the rear ends missing. It, it just defies belief when you really start digging into that information. And I must say, much to her credit, Linda Howe has been one of the only people that has kept the, the domestic cat mutilation mystery in, in the forefront of some people's minds. And, and my hat's off to her. Linda's a, a tireless worker. She trained me to be uh, an interviewer, uh, helped me uh, uh, train as a field investigator. Um, you know, I owe her a lot of thanks and gratitude for all the hard work that she's done. I just disagree with her uh, you know, opinion that it's aliens yeah. gathering genetic material uh, to hybridize uh, their race or w for whatever purpose. I, I, I tell people, they say, well, it's all aliens, right? And I say, well, wait a minute. If aliens were coming down to gather genetic material, why wouldn't they pick the lock on a, on a, on a rendering plant or an abattoir and go in and get as much genetic material as they needed? Why sneak around in, in, in cattle herds out in the dark? It doesn't make any yeah. sense. So I think yeah. it's a location-specific phenomenon. It's not necessarily the cow. It's where the cow is in the environment. And that's, a, I think, a major clue right there. Interesting, interesting. So you're saying it's just... A major, that's a really intriguing. I have to take some uh, moment here to think about that. Environmentally specific. So that so they're more interested in, in sort of uh, where the cattle is hanging around, for lack of a better term, or, or it's some kind of phenomenon that just lends itself to that area. Location, location, location. If you go in the United States, as an example, downwind and downstream of where we have nuclear power plants, uranium mines, weapons enrichment facilities, anywhere we futz around with nuclear materials, missile fields, uh, uh, air bases with uh, nuclear-armed uh, wings, uh, SAC uh, command uh, and control uh, scenarios with nuclear materials. If you go downwind and downstream of those locations, those are the highest areas of incidence of cattle mutilations, uh, statistically speaking. And there's new studies coming out that suggest that prion disease may be somehow kicked off easier if an if a animal is exposed to environmental radiation. So you have the double whammy of downwind, downstream of nuclear plants and uh, downwind and downstream of uh, outbreaks of chronic wasting disease uh, and, and other types of uh, TSEs, uh, for instance, in the environment. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving a Cliff Notes version here. I'm, I'm kind yeah. of stating things generally here. I, I go into much greater detail, obviously, in the book. 
But of course, there seems to be a relationship between radiation and the onset of full-blown symptomatic uh, TSE, and uh, and the environmental location of these animals. Um, this does not completely hold true around the world, but in in North America, which is the epicenter pretty much of this mystery, uh, we do see some very very intriguing trends patterns. And uh, we can look at them and start to uh, come up with some pretty, I think, uh, solid in- analysis. I, you know, there's Kevin Randall, uh, your friend Paul Kimball. Uh, there's been a number of investigators and researchers and thinkers over the years that have just totally dismissed this as a bunch of hysteria. And I find it interesting that the whole idea of occult involvement was started by, guess who, J. Allen Hynek, Jer- Jerome Clark, uh, in, in his own way, in a lesser way, uh, Kevin Randall, back in the early 70s when these first cases started to crop up and they were tied to UFOs, the you know top people in the field did their very best to separate the UFO phenomenon from cattle mutilations by blaming it on occultists. And I go into great That's depth. what I was just going to ask you. How did this – because the last thing – the last thing I can imagine with the cattle mutilations is somehow it's connected to cults, but – but that that seemed that seemed to be one of the like we said earlier the big four explanations of possibilities cults is in there and it's like how did cults even get in there so you're saying that was caused by by people in the UFO field trying to sort of distance the UFO phenomenon from all this exactly and uh, I can tell you exactly the <laughs> the typhoid Mary example of this is when J Allen Hynek suggested to an alcohol tobacco and firearms investigator named uh, Donald Flickinger in Minnesota. Uh, some of the earliest cases that we know in the 70s happened in Minnesota, um, uh, uh, around the Minneapolis area there. And uh, he suggested to Flickinger that he should uh, uh, you know, look into a particular uh, claim by a Texas uh, criminal. Uh, actually, there were two of them, Dugan and Bankston. Look into their uh, claims that they knew that uh, cult groups were involved and, and to study this. And what happened was that Flickinger sent out a memorandum to all the sheriff's departments in the country saying, hey, there may be occult activity in your town, and they may be predating on cattle and other animals, so keep your eye open for this. And then once you get law enforcement agencies with that, you know, <laughs> with that bug in their, yeah. in their uh then, you know, the media is going to be talking to these cops, and then you, you find headlines, you know, occultists blame for cattle mutilation, Satanists, uh, you know, we're seeing near a site, and and we have a bunch of really cool cases that it feature hooded figures, uh, ritual sign uh, animals, uh, you know, that that are found uh, uh, in in locations where you know apparent occult activity is taking place. There's some really good cases in Montana, cases in Idaho, cases in Colorado. Uh, in one case in Idaho, there was a group of uh, 15 to 20 hooded figures that were actually linking arm in arm and stopping traffic so people couldn't travel on a state highway. Uh, and then mutilations were discovered. So uh, cases in Iowa where, uh, you know, houses were, abandoned houses were filled with uh, ritual altars with cow skulls and candles and writings on the wall. And, and of course, it's difficult for law enforcement to investigate a claim of a cattle mutilation and also have this weird kind of occult activity crop up and not, you know, link the two. So it, it, there's there's this accidental sort of attribution to occult phenomena. But... I think at its core, there is an aspect of ritual blood sacrifice going on here. I'm not discounting the occult theory by any stretch. And I'm one of the few people that thinks that it's even plausible. 
that there may be some sort of ritual magic connection. Why do why do uh, humans sacrifice animals to the gods? And why have we done that for tens of thousands of years? You know, there's got to be a reason. Maybe the yeah. gods come down and take the good animals. So let's sacrifice some, uh, you know, mediocre animals, and maybe they won't come down and take the good ones. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like if we sacrifice the cattle, they won't come for us. Well, that's taking a big leap. Uh, we won't even talk about human mutilations <laughs> yet because there's really not much to talk about in that particular uh, Yeah, end human of it. mutilations seems, it's, it's, uh, I don't know if that's a growing an industry or if it's uh, <laughs> just just uh, something that's kind of uh, urban legend at this point. I don't know yet. But, um, well, that's... Oh, uh, no. There are some. <laughs> there are hmm. some. Yeah, no, Don I agree with that. I just mean, you know, it's, uh, I don't think it's an epidemic. No, it's the most covered-up type of crime that you'll uh, ever encounter in a law enforcement agency. How so? They don't want to talk about it. I have run into brick walls. I've known of a couple of cases, exhausted all efforts to dig into it, and was literally told, do not push me on this. Do not ask me about this. Do not. I can neither confirm or deny that you've even talked to me about this, <laughs> you know. And Don Ecker was is an ex-law enforcement officer from from Pennsylvania, and you know when he attempted to uh, to look into this because of some cases he became aware of, he was met with a total you know a total brick wall. And and he's kind of like an insider guy in law enforcement. At least he was back you know in the day when he was doing this in the eighties. So you know there there have been a, a, a few cases that have been touted uh, over the years, the White Sands mutilation uh, case of the, the airmen. Um, there uh, was a, a number of cases up in Idaho that, that are very intriguing. Uh, that There's enough, I think, evidence to suggest that uh, there were some real cases there. I had a case uh, that was uh, told to me uh, confidentially about a, a young girl in Silver City, New Mexico. I absolutely was unable to to get any sort of traction, uh, investigative traction, uh, to look into that. Uh, the San Carlos Indian Reservation in Arizona, there was supposedly uh, a mutilation case or two or three, possibly uh, complete, you know, stonewall on that. Uh, you know, the Giraparanga Reservoir case, of course, you know, some of your listeners, I'm sure, have seen these uh, horrendous autopsy photos of a of a guy that was found mutilated on a a reservoir outside of uh, you know, in Brazil, uh, all the upper respiratory organs in the heart were pulled out, a small hole in the crook of his elbow. Uh, the, all the lower organs were pulled out, a small hole in his belly button. Um, his genitalia was enlarged. Usually they cut it off. Um, in this case, it was the opposite. Mandible was uh, excised, tongue was taken, uh, you know, and then we have a complete autopsy report, uh, you know, five or six very gruesome photographs. Um, that are out there on the net, you know, if anybody wants to go out and look at them, uh, which I don't recommend. Uh, so, you know, there is some kind of hint of evidence of these types of things happening, but if you really want to know about human mutilations, all you have to do is go to Africa. Uh, they happen there all the time, and that's because people are suspected of witchcraft and they, you know, uh, they do terrible things to each other uh, on the dark continent. And, uh, you know, from time to time... So these... So, it, it, not to paint too broad a brush here, but these human mutilations, so these are instances where people turn up mysteriously 
with with you know with I guess with uh, characteristics similar to the to the cattle mutilations, where part soft tissue Correct. parts are taken and stuff like that. Right, the organs that most uh, often uh, become cancerous in in in, uh, in, in mammals, uh, especially in humans, the the soft tissue organ areas where we develop cancer are the organs that are usually reported as as missing in the classic mutilation scenario. Uh, I find that that's not by accident. Um, Another thing that I find very intriguing, too, is that humans are almost an identical genetic match uh, to human uh, hemoglobin to cattle hemoglobin. If you're a universal donor, you can survive a transfusion of, of cattle hemoglobin in an emergency situation. In fact, it's been used in, in, uh, in, you know, in, in wartime. They use cattle hemoglobin to uh, supplement uh, blood loss. Uh, cattle's blood is a genetic match, 99.9 to nine places, nine 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 two humans. Pigs are to seven places. Um, it's the old adage: "You are what you eat." We've been eating cattle for so long that <laughs> our blood and hemoglobin is almost <laughs> a virtual match, uh, which I don't think is by accident. And I think that that has some bearing and some relevance uh, to the discussion. You know. Uh, I, I really try to look at all the extenuating um, circumstances. I, I try to look at, at connecting points, at, at patterns, um, at scientific fact, how that may somehow play a part in this scenario. If we are able to determine X, Y, and Z, doesn't that suggest uh, a particular pattern or answer? So I'm looking at, at this as as not only a medical mystery, in a criminal or crime mystery uh, or a paranormal mystery, but I'm also looking at it as a cultural mystery. We are in complete denial about cattle as a protein source in our diet. And it's really an important issue that will have to be dealt with sooner or later because of the detrimental impact that cattle have on human health and on the planet's environment. And we like the convenience of pulling into a fast food restaurant, pulling up to the driving window, paying a couple, three dollars for a hamburger, and going on our way. We don't want to know about ammonia slime that's used to kill bacteria and is in the burgers. We don't want to know that only 12% of that burger is actually meat. Um, we don't want to know that up to a 1,000 different animals can be represented in a single fast food hamburger uh, these are the types of, of cultural blind spots that are all inexorably linked to this calamulation phenomenon. I'm convinced of that. Yeah. Well, it's a tricky subject because, you know, like we were talking about, you get the cattle part and then you got the cattle mutilations part. There's two different separate things. You wonder why, you wonder where it's all heading, I guess. It's, is the thing I'm very uh, I'm concerned about it all. Well, I wanted to ask you too. It, this sort of draws upon what you were saying earlier, where you said in the mid '70s, sort of when this thing really exploded. Uh, since then, the consumption of beef has been cut in half. Was there any sort of? Uh, I'm going to draw a parallel here, I guess, to the to the old theory that uh, you know the government's like seeding UFO information into the media to change people's thoughts about aliens and stuff like that. Was there any sort of concerted? campaign by uh, the government to get people to stop eating as much beef uh, since 75, and that's why we have half the, the beef consumption? 
Well, you know, I don't really think so. I think um, I think it's it's just education. Um, we pump cattle full of grain so that they they get fat, and that mm-hmm. fat, that mar that marbling in the meat, is what is you know. If you have a nice juicy steak, it's juicy because it's got these big globules of fat in it. Fat is not the best thing to consume for various uh, health reasons. Obviously, uh, uh, you know, your cardiovascular system uh, can be compromised by too much cholesterol, too much fatty, uh, you know, elements in, in the blood and, and, you know, plaque building up on, uh, you know, yeah. arteries, that sort of thing. I think as people become more health conscious, I think that that has, has pulled back a little bit on people's beef consumption. Um but the beef industry has done everything in its power to combat that. If anything, the beef industry is, is trying to keep the consumption of beef uh, as high as possible. Beef is the largest income-producing sector of the agricultural uh, business, of agriculture. Okay, It, 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 it mm-hmm. generates more dollars than anything else. Uh, for instance, McDonald's uh, u- utilizes about a billion pounds of beef a year. Now it's a huge income-producing sector of the economy. Um, you know, we've been exporting beef. Uh, you know, we've been importing beef. A lot of the, the fast food uh, companies now are raising beef uh, away from the United States. So that figure of the amount of head of livestock in the United States uh, being halved is largely due because a lot of it's been farmed out. Uh, and, and we're buying beef from Australia. We're buying beef from uh, South America, and uh, you know they're cutting down the rainforest to make ro- more room for cattle, uh, and, which is really a problem, okay, for the environment. The lungs of our planet are being compromised because of cattle, okay. I mean, just just look at how much gas a single head of livestock produces. They belch or fart once every minute and a half, two minutes. All that methane, tons, millions of tons of methane. Are an ozone depleting gas. They're the second largest natural producer of ozone depleting gases. Termites, uh, believe it or not, are the, the the largest producer of of, of methane on the planet. Cattle are, are a close second. Uh, so, the beef industry is really doing the opposite. They're attempting to, uh, you know, keep in place subsidies uh, for beef. If you paid the actual amount of money it would cost to bring that that uh, quarter pounder to your fast food restaurant, it would be like the same price of, of uh, a hamburger in Japan. It would be like $10, $12. Uh, the beef industry is, is, is coddled. They're protected. They're subsidized. Uh, the beef lobby is one of the largest uh, political powers in this country. When the Sherman Antitrust Act uh, was proposed in the late 1890s, uh, you know, people think it was, it was done to break up the railroads, to break up Standard Oil, to break up, uh, you know, the the, uh, you know, whatever, you know, J.P. Morgan, Rockefeller-type, yeah. uh, you know, organizations and companies that were around at the time gobbling up competition. No. The Antitrust, Sherman Antitrust Trust Act was built to break up the Beef Trust. And huh. it didn't work. The Beef Trust was so powerful. Cudahy, Armour, uh, you know, all these huge uh, beef concerns uh, in Chicago where all the beef was being processed. Uh, they were able to combat the legislation for 12 years. And it wasn't until the very famous book, The Jungle, came out by Upton Sinclair, which totally did an expose on the conditions within the slaughtering houses where people would you know, not report 
uh, clock out of, of work, and where did the guy go? And nobody knew, and he, he probably ended up in a you know a vat of lard and, and got processed, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and child labor, uh, you know, Upton Sinclair's book was required reading. Uh, it was for me uh, in, in high school, and a lot of people were, were you know were outraged by by the uh, unsanitary conditions, by the exploitation of workers. And uh, you know the total stranglehold of uh, the five big beef companies. And so when the book came out, then boom, the, the Sherman Antitrust Act was passed. The beef industry took a hit, but boy, I tell you, they've been on the rebound ever since. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, I, I again, guess I, again, again, I, I, I eat beef. I suggest that everybody eat beef. Uh, I'm not, you know, Oprah here. I'm, I'm not saying don't eat beef. I'm saying be very selective. Don't eat as much, maybe. Make sure you know where it comes from. Make sure it's grass-fed. If if you live in a, a rural area, make sure it's local. And uh, processed meat is a really, really bad thing for your health. Processed meat, okay? If there's sodium nitrates, if there's, you know, all these additives in there, uh, preservatives, uh, you know, growth hormones, uh, antibiotics, these types of things uh, are a real major health issue in this country that is not being addressed by the mainstream. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess what what, what I had been suggesting maybe was not that, the, not that the beef industry would be in on any sort of like uh, agenda to lessen beef consumption, but just that the government would kind of be easing people off of beef to to stave off whatever they discovered possibly in the 70s that caused the cattle mutilation study let's say if we're going with that kind of idea but um, well maybe i want to pip maybe yeah i mean that's all because i don't expect I've the beef industry to work with, you know it's kind of like like cigarettes with with the government you know they don't want people to smoke cigarettes maybe they kind of just just uh sort of easing people away from beef or something i was asking if that if you saw any trend like that well until the beef subsidies uh you know are lifted um no i don't see that okay. uh yeah as soon as Pay the amount of money that it costs to produce that pound of beef, let's say. I mean, 1,700 pounds of grain are fed a single calf to get it to that 450 or so pound weight so it can be uh, rendered, processed and rendered, and processed, killed, rendered, and processed. Um, that amount of grain, if you added up all the grain that we feed cattle, we could be feeding all 2.2 billion starving people on this planet. Just from the, the, the cattle in this country that we fatten up with, with grain. If we use that grain to feed the world, we wouldn't have starving people on this planet. That's crazy. <laughs> I don't know. That's just crazy. Like, why, what is wrong with our species that we <laughs> that we're so that you we're so off is? track that we don't want to want to we don't realize is? that. That's crazy. It's the beef eaters. Uh, look at it. I mean, in England, you know, beef became a status symbol. And uh, that's where the beef eaters come from. Beef eater, gin, uh, you know, the, the beef eaters in England. I mean, that they came about from a, for a very specific reason. If you were wealthy and affluent, you could afford to eat beef because you had to pay the price that it cost to produce it. Okay? That was back in the Middle Ages, you know. The 16th, 17th, 18th century we're talking about here. Now, countries around the world are trying to gain affluence. They're trying to 
move from the third world into the second world, move from the second world into a you know a, a cutting edge first world kind of civilization or culture. And what is the one of the hallmarks of affluence in a country is to be able to go out and eat a steak. Yeah. How, how many countries around the world are, are, are aspiring to be, a, a, you know, affluent and be able to go out and afford to eat a steak? I mean, that's one of the major signs of, hey, I've arrived. I am an affluent, uh, upwardly mobile, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, individual. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're in Nairobi, if you're in Korea, if you're in, uh, you know, <laughs> Papua New Guinea. If you can afford to go out and eat a steak, then, uh, you know, you, you got it on the ball. So yeah, that yeah. Cult- that's so bizarre. Cult- yeah. <laughs> think about it, you know. I mean, think about it. If you can afford to eat beef, that means that you are better than X amount of people, okay? They can't yeah. afford to eat it, but you can. So there's this, this cultural kind of um, underpinnings here that, that are never addressed when you're talking about cattle mutilations, when you're talking about cattle as, as, as a protein source. Uh, people don't look at the cultural motivations, the, the ramifications of the act of eating beef. I mean, beef is, is you know, it's a status symbol. And, yeah. uh, you know, beef, it's what's for dinner, as old Robert well, Mitchum, I think, was the first one. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's just, yeah, you're right. It's just crazy that, like like I said, what's wrong with our society? I think people would wake up and be like, well... Where we really shouldn't, we really have our priorities in a messed up place. But uh, what now, in all these sort of fields of endeavor, especially ufology and stuff, you get the whistleblowers. Uh, have there been any sort of uh, whistleblowers or shadowy folks who have sort of spoken out from behind the scenes who are like, hey, I was mixed up in all that catamulation stuff in the 70s. Here's what really happened. Do you, do, you, do you know of any stories like that? There are some, and they're not well uh, documented. Um, I've you know, I'm the kind of person that likes to rely on on data, uh, rely on stuff that I can demonstrably uh, present and prove. Um, so, coming from that particular um, angle, no, there, there's little, if any, um, information. But I have been told stories by reputable people. In one case, it was by a, the head investigator for five counties uh, for the uh, DA's office in a in a, a Colorado district. Um, he um, was suffering the influx of gang activity into uh, his district. And so the DA said, look, uh, you know, we don't know what this graffiti means. We don't know what the gang sign stuff is. We're, you know, we're a rural community. All of a sudden we're having to deal with this stuff. Uh, since you're the lead investigator, there's a, a, a seminar in Colorado Springs. I want you to go to it and learn all you can about gangs and about you know their rituals and their their initiation rites and all that sort of thing. So he went to a, a workshop uh, for law enforcement officials that was put on by a very famous investigator who was featured actually in a Hollywood movie uh, in terms of a cult uh, sign and, and gang activity. Uh, he was an expert in in that sort of ritualized uh, cultural behavior, and so. You know, he went through the first day of the workshop, and, and at lunch, he was having lunch uh, with some of the guys, and the instructor sat down and started talking to him and asked him where he was from, and he said, uh, you know, I'm from the San Luis Valley. He goes, oh, San Luis Valley, uh, sniffing the horse, uh, cattle mutilations out there. Uh, yeah, I, I know about that. In fact, I was asked to come to, to D.C. and uh, testify behind uh, closed doors in a secret uh, sub 
committee or, or some sort of committee meeting, and they were in, they were aware of a ritual occult group within the government that had access to military technology, and they were going out and doing cattle mutilations as a ritual response to whatever is out there mutilating cattle. <laughs> Check that out. Uh-huh. And I was like, whoa, 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 you know, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you telling me? And he said, I've, I'll, you know, that's what he told me. And, uh, you know, who am I to, you know, say the guy's uh, lying? I don't know. I didn't ask him to tell me anything. He just blurted that out. So it does appear that there is at least some sort of knowledge on some level, theoretically, in government, that there are some sort of government, there is a government group that's somehow involved in going out and 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 responding or reacting to mutilation cases by doing their own, but in a ritual manner. And I find that very intriguing, because that, that brings in this whole element of ritual blood sacrifice, of of, you know, kind of a, a weird sort of quasi-pseudo-occult angle, which I've always felt was involved at some on some level at the core of this phenomenon. It's almost like, uh, you know, maybe the, the, the true high-strange cases are perpetrated by some sort of as-yet-undefined or un, uh, misunderstood predator that has always been living alongside us, that maybe is dimensional or is maybe some sort of occult... Uh, you know, a life uh, force that's been brought into being, that maybe the ritual magicians lost control of it and it, it all of a sudden gained its own agenda, sort of a, a nasty, uh, bloodthirsty trickster that's uh, now self-aware and has its own agenda. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard other cops uh, in law enforcement tell me that it appears the government shows up in helicopters at these cases to shut down some sort of doorway or to close down, terminate. Uh, some sort of portal that there's like something that's coming through and they don't have any control of it and all they can do is react and they they shut it down by doing ritual cases that somehow supplicate it or 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 tell it it's okay go you know leave us alone here go somewhere else you know so oh, I mean there's some angles, yeah there's some angles that that that, that are kind of you know there's hints of some pretty pretty high strange stuff. Uh, going yeah, it's dark. It, very dark. Um, Nick Redfern, uh, great book, Final Events. Great book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Collins yeah, Lee. Great book, yeah. Uh, a, a, a group of individuals that have been monitoring uh, UFO activity and other things because they think it's 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 dark occult energy. That would fit in with this kind of scenario, that there may be some sort of uh, very secret clandestine interagency, interagency group that's that's maybe somehow monitoring this and trying to, to cut it off at the pass, close down, terminate these, these doorways that are somehow open, that we may be dealing with some sort of, you know, like supernatural predator or some dark, dark uh, occult-based uh, force that maybe was initially brought into being uh, ritualistically and, and, and they lost control of it. Uh, there's some elements in here that that uh, you don't hear Linda Howe talking about. You don't hear Chuck Zdokowski talking about. You don't hear, uh, you know, the debunkers uh, even acknowledging that any of this could possibly be, be uh, you know, even possible. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, so, they don't want anyone to even know about it. They, that's no, the last thing the debunkers were talking no, about. No, it, that's like why, you know, people say, well, do you think disclo- UFO disclosure is going to happen? And I say, well, maybe... 
what the government knows on some level, you know, maybe it's very compartmentalized and not many people know, but maybe it is so terrifying and so, you know, horrific that we're being done a favor by not having disclosure. If we knew what was really going on, it would scare, you know, the holy, uh, you know, crap out of us. <laughs> you know, right, right. So it may be that it may be that way within the uh, the unexplained livestock death phenomenon as well. So you know, you have to look at all this stuff. You have to be able to support your hypothesis with data. You you have to be able to replicate it. You have to be able to show patterns. You have to be able to to come up with grounded thinking, grounded analysis, grounded investigative work, grounded data that uh, you know is beyond uh, you know the equivocal nature of most data that uh, is, is tossed around as fact in this field and in other fields, uh, the paranormal, hauntings, uh, UFOs, uh, you know, psychic phenomena. Uh, you really have to have your, your I's crossed and your T's dotted to be taken seriously in any quasi-proto-scientific endeavor. And that's what I've attempted to do with Stalking the Herd. I've really come up with some cases that cannot be Ignored. They cannot be just dissed and just ah with a sniff dismiss it. Ah, that's a bunch of BS. We have world class veterinary pathologists telling you what's going on. You know, you've got to you know sit up and pay attention. Okay, I'm not a veterinary pathologist. I'm an amateur here. I don't know diddly compared to a guy that's got his you know it's spent 12 years studying animal uh, you know husbandry and 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 then get a degree in pathology. Uh, even a, a vet, you know, your standard animal vet doesn't have the education to determine how an animal died and what happened once it died. Um, you know, vets have been fooled by this. I had a yeah. really good case where a vet called me up and said, you won't believe this. I had a cow mutilated. It was still warm, and when I tried to drag it off to the bone pile, it was so necrotic already, It pulled it. pulled uh, I pulled it apart trying to drag it off. And the thing was, yeah. it had just died hours before. We have cases of, of advanced necrosis. We have cases of retarded necrosis. Animals won't rot. Uh, we have cases where, you know, flies, insects land on the animal uh, and die. Uh, we have, a, for instance, a, a New Mexico livestock uh, brand inspector and, and livestock uh, officer who uh, investigated a case and when he pulled the tarp off the animal, he was overcome by a gas that came out. Maybe it was uh, insecticide on the hide. Maybe it was this. Maybe it was that. Well, whatever it was, that mutilated animal made him go into retirement. He was put in the hospital. He had respiratory, uh, major respiratory uh, issues that, that forced uh, the end of his career. Uh, we have, you know, the initial Snippy the Horse case. Uh, they found a piece of meat on a Chico bush, you know, in the pasture a few feet away from the animal, and the owner of the horse uh, poked it with a stick and touched the stick and got this acid burn on her hand. Uh, we've had cases where people have had uh, burns uh, from touching these animals, uh, cases where uh, UFOs have been uh, seen in the field, cases where helicopters have been landed on a road uh, with a guy astride on top of a cow doing something to it, and when the cops arrived, uh, the the helicopter that was landed next to the cow with the guy was gone, and so was the cow, and all they left behind was this kind of weird, slick spot on the road. Um, there's a ton of cases that you just can't explain away as being mundane scavengers, actually, or yeah, yeah. strange hearing, uh, or or ETs, or government. I mean, there's it's just it makes your head spin. I'm telling you, <laughs> it really does. 
We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens! What kind of radio show is this? Part of it makes you wonder, like, if there's, like, you talked about the idea that the that the that the government that the the helicopters are sort of uh, performing some kind of ritual to shut the shut the portal or whatever. Part part of me wonders if it's not something like uh, that the that that UFOs and aliens were doing this originally, but then we came along and kind of scared them away. But now we're trying to figure out what they were trying to figure out, you know, or or, or yeah. they told us what they were trying yeah. to figure out, and now we're trying to. You know, we're taking over the investigation, if you will. We being the uh, clandestine government, of course. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, that, that makes as much sense as any other theory that I've heard. How about the cases of Gabe Valdez, of course, who uh, was the New Mexico State Patrolman uh, who investigated uh, over 100 cases up in northern uh, New Mexico uh, in the 70s and 80s, and then went to work for the National Institute of Discovery Sciences, uh, NIDS, and was uh, one of their lead cattle mutilation investigators. Uh, someone who I knew for uh, 20 years, uh, well, 18 years before he died, and, and who helped me out and tra- helped train me. Uh, I really respected Gabe, uh, crack law enforcement guy. And um, he had some cases that were very bizarre uh, in northern New Mexico in the late 90s where uh, they would call a veterinary pathologist onto the scene. The animal was mutilated, but there was no cause of death. And when they cut into the meat, they found the thing had been cooked from the inside out, like with it was immense microwave radiation. Um, we have cases where animals, they've taken the hide off the animals, and these huge, nasty uh, you know, bruises were on the hips and the hocks you know, around the feet, like the animal had been uh, lifted up with a giant uh, claw or some sort of mechanical device that was able to lift you know, a thousand-pound animal up and... and and take it somewhere. Um, we've had animals that have been found, uh, you know, in the middle of what appear to be uh, crop circle type uh, impressions in, in fields where the grass has all been swirled down. I had a case where right, an animal right. was found. You just, like- you just touched on kind of what you just t- touched a nerve because you I, right on the tip of my tongue here was the the connection here between this and the crop circle thing where it's like these these cattle mutilations also have to happen within these short windows of time like in the middle of the night, practically in silence. I mean, how it, it seems like they're pulled off in tremendously tight windows of opportunity, right? I mean, and using right. something that would have to require great technology or skill because, uh, like you said, in some instances, these seem like elaborate procedures that are done on these cows. So it's not like someone can just run in, stab a cow in the neck, and run away or some crap like that. I mean, this, this no. presumably, whatever this process is, takes at least... I don't know how long. I'm not a veterinary pathologist. Okay, well, I don't know how long here's it here's would take, example. but maybe an hour, let's say. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, here, you know where here, I'm going. Here's an example. Exactly. And, and let me give you the ultimate uh, uh, mind messer. <laughs> I, I know right. we're on the radio, so I can't use the, uh, the term, but the Sherman Ranch case up in uh, Uinta Basin in, in Utah, Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, here's a, mm-hmm. just an, an un, unfathomable case. Rancher and his wife go out in their pickup truck. They're going out to inoculate and put ear tags on, on the baby calves in the field. They go out in the fields like in the morning, 10 o'clock, bright sunny day, whatever. You know, it's, you know, it's, they're out in the field. You know, they're doing their job. They go to this mama and their calf and, and her calf, and they, they do their thing. It takes, you know, 10 minutes or whatever, and they, they drive down to the next pair a few hundred yards uh, away in the field, and they do their thing with that calf. And then they turn to go back, and they see the mama sitting there mooing, and where's the baby? And they drive up, and the baby's been totally torn apart and is laying out very, 
almost ritualistically, the parts are laid out right there next to the mother, where the mother's mm-hmm. standing. It, the animal's been, been eviscerated. There's not one drop of blood anywhere. Uh, the organs are gone. Uh, an atypical mutilation case, I might add. But we have a crack team on site, flown up on a private jet that day, investigating the case. <laughs> you, know, you have a veterinary pathologist, a microbiologist, a crime scene investigator, and you know a reporter. And you know, I, well, actually, I don't think George Knapp was, uh, went up there, but Colm Kelleher, uh, George Onet, uh, who's a veterinary pathologist, Colm Kelleher is a microbiologist. They went up there with some other people and investigated the case that day. And they were they they were horrified that something like this could happen in just a matter of minutes in broad daylight with the rancher in the same field. Now, how do you explain that? It's, that's not government. <laughs> There's something else going on there. But that's not saying the government's not involved in a huge number of cases. So it's multiple groups. There's multiple agendas at work. They're piggybacking the agendas on one another to create plausible deniability. And what the sum total effect of this is, it completely nullifies it as a news story, as a crime problem, as some sort of, uh, you know, something that uh, people will talk about on, on shows like yours or mine. This is a complete, it's so ingenious, the way this is self-nullifying. And, uh, you know, I, I people say, well, you know, what's up with the dead cows, Chris? Why don't you leave it alone already? Come on, man. It's like nobody, <laughs> you're never going to uh, get a bestseller with a book about cattle mutilations. And it's like, no, I'm not. But I think somebody, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to put all this data down and say, you know, this may, if this is the last book I write, I'm okay with it because I finally did the definitive work on this mystery. And it is a true high strange mystery that deserves attention. It deserves people going out, getting trained to investigate these cases, network with ranching organizations and ranching communities. I need locals on the ground in these areas where these cases continually crop up. Maybe a couple, three years will go by, and then boom, you'll have some cases. Then they'll go away, and they'll they'll, they'll move somewhere else. We need people. Who, uh, we need the network with investigators uh, in South America, in England, in Australia. The, these are the places where uh, these cases tend to occur the most. Uh, and it it is definitely a human health, an environmental issue, a human health issue. And uh, and we won't even talk about, you know, the cruelty to animal uh, factor here. Uh, you know, you look at the horse slashings, for instance, in the 80s and 90s in, in England, where horses are slashed up and, and uh, sexually uh, abused with objects and just bizarre uh, deviant behavior that's associated with some horse cases. Uh, not, not so much the cattle, but the, the horses, and, and in England, I might add, uh, you know, and and what about everybody's uh, little kitty? You know that that lives inside. It's an indoor cat, and the one day it gets out, the the next morning, you know, they find it cut in half, laying in their front yard. <laughs> well, how about the guy that went out and uh, I think it was in St. Louis. It was a suburb of St. Louis, and his little kid came screaming and said, "Daddy, Daddy, come look!" And there's a bag of 19 cow eyes on his front yard. <laughs> oh, jeez! What's up? What's up with that? It's weird, man. It's weird stuff. I don't get it either. I don't. <laughs> I really don't get it. I don't. It's 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 troubling. Like I said before, it's like you wonder if like the UFO started and the government. You don't even know what came first in all this. You know, it's like yeah, maybe maybe whatever element the trickster element just saw how people got 
you know, freaked out by a government investigation into into this, and then they were like, oh, people get seen to get weirded out by cattle mutilations. Let's start doing that. That makes Very as much weird. sense as any, oh. any other scenario. <laughs> now, somebody asked well, earlier, it's, uh, it's kind of a strange question, but uh, I'm a big fan of zoos, so I figure I'll ask it. What about, is there any instances where this sort of thing happens at a zoo? I figured that would be kind of covered up pretty easily, yeah. though. Oh, yeah. I didn't really know. No, 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 there's some really good cases. Uh, my favorite are the... Um, uh, two cases in '75 uh, in outside of uh, Colorado Springs. Of course, right there overlooking Colorado Springs is Cheyenne Mountain, you know, which has a huge underground base in it. You know, it was the NORAD headquarters for many years, and you know, the Cheyenne Mountain facility has been featured in uh, you know the TV show Stargate, and it's been in many movies, uh, War Games with Matthew Broderick, blah blah blah. Um, it's one of the most secure locations on the planet. And we had a case uh, in uh, July, Academy mutilation case, that was done within sight of the doorway into Cheyenne Mountain. And then earlier in the year, we had a case in the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, which is on the north end of Cheyenne Mountain, uh, in some of the most secure, again, real estate on the planet, where a buffalo was discovered in its pen in the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, expertly mutilated. It was complete autopsy was done by two uh, vet- veterinarians and uh, a veterinarian and a coroner did the autopsy on the animal. There's no way they could explain how the animal was killed, how it was cut up and disfigured, why the pieces were missing. It right at the base of Cheyenne Mountain, <laughs> you know. And then a few months later, you have a case right in the doorway of Cheyenne Mountain of a mutilated cow. Uh, so we have a case of a wallaby of all things. Uh, most people don't even know what a wallaby is. It's like a little mini kangaroo. was discovered, wow. I think, in the Dart- Dartmouth uh, uh, Zoo in England, mutilated. And then a few weeks later, we had a wallaby in Jackson, Mississippi, in the zoo that was discovered mutilated. <laughs> a wallaby mutilation. It's okay. Weird. Okay. Now, which, now someone, someone has a good point here. Does it, do we have any... Uh, any evidence from like these ca- these zoos with cameras or anything like that? Not back in the seventies uh, when these particular cases oh, occurred. Yeah. Uh, you know now, you know I would think that a case like this would probably be uh, be pretty sensationalized, and word would get out oh, yeah. about a case. Zoo cases are fairly rare. They they have been documented and uh, and reported on. Uh, I do uh, note them in the book. There's a number of them. Um, obviously, there are exceptions, uh, the, you know, to the, you know, to your average uh, case, but uh, but they have occurred. They have occurred, and uh, the cases that are very strange, uh, are like the seal cases in the Orkney Islands, way up in the North Sea, where all these uh, seals have this weird spiral cut that goes all the way down the body uh, that could not have been caused by any predator, any sort of uh, ship propeller um, cases, uh, identical cases uh, of dolphins that were mutilated uh, in the south of France that washed up on shore with the exact same wounds around around the necks. Uh, maybe it was uh, the U.S. Navy uh, decided to snuff their, uh, their dolphin brigade, uh, you know, their mind-sniffing dolphins, whatever... <laughs> They use and they said, "Well, we've used all these guys up. Let's, uh, you know, their collars. Let's electrify their collars, and they'll die, and they'll wash up, and nobody will know what happened." Um, so there are a number of very, very bizarre 
uh, series of cases even, uh, you know, like I've just mentioned, uh, that cannot yeah. be explained. Uh, obviously, um, cases that occur uh, in short time frames are very intriguing. There's quite a number of cases on record uh, uh, that I've, uh, you know, listed out in the book uh, in their appropriate timeline uh, place where animals have been found uh, within minutes of being seen alive, animals that are found, uh, you know, three pastures away uh, from where they were last seen the day before. They're found mutilated, you know, several fence lines away. There's no way they could have, have, have gotten there, obviously, with locked uh, gates and, and barbed wire fences. Uh, we have a case uh, outside a feedlot that was discovered. Uh, there's cases where weird humanoid creatures were seen lurking around a feedlot, uh, and, and a mutilated animal was found. Uh, there's, there's cases that Linda Howe, of course, uh, has touted over the years of in Missouri, uh, aliens were seen levitating a cow into uh, into a landed uh, craft. Um, there's uh, the Big Mama uh, flap in the Front Range of Colorado, where this large light would show up and shoot off these little lights. They'd shoot around in areas where animals were discovered mutilated uh, the following day or two later. Uh, we have cases of flotillas of helicopters, as many as seven in one case in, uh, I think, northern New Mexico, southern Colorado, uh, that seemed to be totally out of place. Uh, animals that were uh, discovered mutilated, you know, in the same area where the choppers were seen. The case from this last August uh, in Werfano County, uh, four animals were discovered mutilated in a field uh, in August, and then the prior March, uh, you know, six seven months before, the FAA in Denver had uh, alerted the Werfano County Sheriff that somebody was using a laser and spotting planes flying by with a, a fairly powerful laser. And then a week later, they had another report, and they were able to triangulate, uh, because they had multiple witnesses, multiple pilots saw this, and they were able to triangulate the location of where the person was with the laser. And uh, it, they reported the sheriff goes up there, doesn't find anything. And then the following August, that's the field where four mutilated animals were discovered. <laughs> you know? Oh, weird. So, <laughs> And that's our most recent uh, outbreak of cases. Uh, this happened during the supermoon uh, in the end of August, uh, or middle to end of August here uh, this past uh, couple months. So, yeah. uh, you know, it goes on and on. Uh, you know, these cases, uh, I think the higher st strange the case, the weirder the case, the less likely it is to be reported. If you're a rancher, nope. you come out and find okay find a case that's totally bizarre uh, and, and would freak the hell out of your family and your neighbors, chances are you're going to try to hide that and cover it up. And I think the, 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 the most important cases are the rarest cases and the least likely to be uh, reported. Now, uh, forgive me, this sounds probably like a, like a, like a, like a, a dumb question, but I feel like it bears asking. Now, have it, has the possibility been explored? We've talked about predators, but what about the idea that this is like some kind of, some kind of like uh, the end, the end game of some kind of disease that we don't know about that the cows have or the animals have, where it's like, uh, like, like akin to like spontaneous human combustion kind of thing, where where all of a sudden an animal will die <laughs> from what appears to okay. be a mutilation. <laughs> well, I'll even take that one better. Um, we had a case on the Mutes Ranch. Now, uh, investigators call these mutes. We M-U-T-E-S. You know, we call them, you yeah. know, hey, I had another mute. 
Well, this guy's name is John Mutes, M-U-T-Z. He's a rancher Weird. in uh, the Moreno Valley around Eagle's Nest up by uh, Angel Fire in, in New Mexico uh, by Taos. He's so looking he's for trouble, his... this guy with that name. Yeah, evidently. Well, check this out. Uh, this is one of my favorite cases of all time. Uh, uh, just, man, beyond a head-scratcher. So he's he's sitting there watching his herd. He's just on the front porch having a glass of lemonade, chewing on his hayseed, you know, just sitting there enjoying the afternoon. And he notices all his cows out in the field about an eighth, you know, to a little over an eighth of a mile away, a few hundred yards away. He's up on kind of a hill, and he's looking down at his herd. And all of a sudden, all the cows gathered together in, in, in a tight clump. There was about 60 head, if I remember. And, and they start... Obviously, they're agitated. They're they're mooing. They're they're kind of, you know, jostling each other around. And when they all, all of a sudden they they separate and they all start walking off in different directions. And laying there is a mutilated calf. He went down there and said, what, "What's up? Here? You know, what happened to my calf?" And he goes down there and the damn thing's mutilated. So. Maybe it's a cow thing. Maybe the cows are doing this. Maybe these are like cattle hit squads that are taking out bad cows. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like, like it makes you wonder if it's some kind of parasitic thing. That's a real case. The cows all gathered together, and when they separated, the little calf is mutilated. Maybe we're just butting in where we, we don't belong. It's a cow thing. Let them work it out. Very strange, yeah. Well, I'm starting to get more concerned about these cows all the time now. You're talking about how they're taking up so much space on the planet and eating all our food. It's like I'm, I'm starting to come around, starting to come around to the side of the cattle mutilators. I'm like wondering if we're if we're like a secret war with cows. <laughs> well, it's not uh, out of the realm of possibility. Uh, there's something. Not right with this scenario. Um, I don't care who you are. You cannot explain this away. Stalking the herd, slam dunks. Anyone who thinks that this is all just mundane scavenger action, I'm sorry. There's 600 pages in your face. Yeah. Well, there's just too much. There's just too much there for it to be so simple. Otherwise, if it was so simple, then there wouldn't. Be, there would be over. You know, it's kind of like how what I say to these skeptics all the time. If you're so right, why are we still talking about it? <laughs> right. So, exactly. I mean, well, I, just, I love I love the UFO community getting involved early on in the early '70s, blaming it on occultists. Anton Lavey, who had just released the Satanic Bible, all of a sudden people are calling him up saying, "Hey, you know, they're blaming you guys for all these cattle mutilations." He became an expert because he had to, you know, he had to create a dossier in, in, in an investigation and research project so that he would be up to speed enough to deny that, that his Church of Satan was involved. And uh, the guy that wrote the the uh, forward to the Satanic Bible, Burton Wolf, was the one that wrote the, the very crucial debunking article that said that, uh, that there's no way that this can be Satanist and it, and it can't be a cultist, uh, you know, that this is all just uh, smoke and mirrors. If there's something else going on, maybe it's a real thing, but it, it sure ain't Satanist. And then... I, I started researching the guy that wrote the article, which was quoted in the Rommel report, by the way, uh, saying that this is all just uh, media-induced hysteria. Well, this Burton Wolf guy, as it turns out, was the one that wrote the foreword to the Satanic Bible, <laughs> and nobody had ever, you know, put those two things together. But I find it interesting that the some of the leading figures in ufology in the early 70s were the ones that first promoted the idea that occultists and ritual magicians were involved 
in perpetrating cattle, these cattle mutilations. And the Flickinger report came out. It was uh, leaked. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be. It was a confidential report. It was leaked to the press. That's how we know about it. And it was sent. A letter of memorandum was sent to all the law enforcement agencies, uh, all the county sheriffs in the country. And then, boom, all through the, the 70s waves, we have these headlines of, of Satanists and occultists uh, being involved in these uh, cow mutilation cases. And it, it all innocently started with Heineck and Jerry Clark and, uh, and others trying to distance ufology from this particular cattle death mystery. And it's just fascinating to trace back how all these particular theories begin, who are the ones that promote them, how those the efforts are picked up by other investigators, by the media, uh, by the culture, how these memes uh, begat other memes and, and glom onto each other, become super memes or meme plexes. Uh, it's really fascinating territory. And Stalking the Herd attempts to put all the quality data together in one place, and then stocking the stalkers uh, is a working title for the follow-up book. We'll analyze the data and look at all these things that we've been talking about, the trends, the patterning, uh, you know, being able to take a particular position and defend it against a wealth of data that, you know, will refute it, and, and throw the mud against the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that because I need to know what the hell's behind all this. I'm con- I'm confused and 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 perplexed and also very interested. It's very weird. The whole thing is really strange, but it's so endemic of the paranormal community too that it's funny because you say like at the beginning they're trying to distance themselves from it, but then later it's like the UFO community just pretty much grabs onto it and 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 takes it in in the uh, violin and and how and later researchers and stuff. So it's it's like right. there's a very uh, complex relationship between the phenomenon and, and the UFO research community. Right. Well, it's a sociological project. Even if cattle mutilations are a mundane, nothing to see here, move along, folks, uh, non-mystery, why haven't we seen some sociologists get a doctorate uh, and, and write a doctoral thesis on this? Why has academia totally been in denial that this is even a sociological phenomenon i mean that's actually yeah that's what we're gonna ask you how come do we, we yeah. don't see many scientific research on this do we i mean at least uh oh, in, in sure officialdom right absolutely oh we have tons of scientific research on it the national institute for discovery sciences released some really good papers they're still cached online you can still find them and i i, I cite them in my book uh, there's been I guess what I mean is like you don't see like the University of Wyoming or whatever, or or like uh, the, the government's not giving grants to study this, right? Of course not. The the beef lobby is too powerful to allow that to happen. What's the largest single income sector of agriculture? I mean, we're gonna you say know, beef. Yeah. Yeah, beef. I mean, it's probably. <laughs> Probably uh, equal to everything else, almost combined. I, I, I don't quote me on that, but man, I'll tell you, beef—a billion pounds of beef were bought just by McDonald's, you know, uh, on average each year. You know how many McDonald's are in India? One. <laughs> Isn't it just one? India is the third most populous country in the world, right? There's like a billion plus Indians. No, there's two hundred and I think seventy something McDonald's in India out of thirty ah. something thousand McDonald's. And none of them serve beef. But, man, I'll tell you, the dishes they do serve, like uh, Mick Paneer and uh, Mick Alu, some of these really great Indian dishes, uh, I, they should 
you know, they should serve those there in uh, McDonald's here. Then maybe I would even consider going to one, even though you got all the fillers and preservatives and, and uh, you know, who knows what kind of additives. Ammoniated slime, that, that, that really bothers me. I mean, I, I, just, I have a problem with ammonia uh, killing bacteria in my uh, chopped meat. I, I hope you listeners do as well. Um, yeah, again, but I prof- think you, you got to – I'm going to be sort of a cynical, uh, smart-ass devil's advocate here, but you, you got to eat a little bit of it or else uh, you, you probably could be, become susceptible to whatever diseases aren't hitting the rest of the population. You know, you got to get your hands a little bit dirty so you – like immunize yourself for that crap sometimes. That's what I think. That's how I, that's how I justify <laughs> going to Burger King every Saturday. Yeah, I, I, I eat meat. I'm, I'm a meat eater. I love beef. Um, I prefer – to eat bison because uh, it's healthier. Uh, it doesn't have all the fat in it, and it's 99% fat-free. Um, but occasionally I will eat beef if I know where it comes from. If it's grass-fed, if it's local, free-range, I'll eat it. I don't eat processed, you know, you know, factory-raised eggs, for instance. I have a local source for my eggs. I try as hard as I can to eat local chicken. Um I, I eat very, very little uh, pork, uh, but man, I hey, occasionally I end up having to go to a Denny's for breakfast, and if they say, "Would you like bacon or ham with that?" I say, "Well, yeah, I'll take some bacon." You know, I, I, I'm a meat eater. I love meat. Uh, I that's why we have canine teeth is because we're carnivores, uh, omnivores, if you will. Um, and I'm not telling anybody not to eat beef. What I'm doing is I'm saying be smart. Stay away from processed meat. Stay away from processed dairy products. You know, if if there's growth hormones in there, um, don't ask your local talk show host why my little nine-year-old girl is entering puberty uh, and and pretend like you don't know that, you know, I think it's 60% of the uh, growth hormones that are used in this country go into, uh, into meat production. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a hidden health uh, emerging health uh, crisis. Crisis. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's interesting. Now, the, we see all this. I, I you talked about the pigs earlier. I presume that 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 we have instances sort of 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 these mutilations in in chicken and pigs because those seem to be the other main animals we eat but not they don't seem it doesn't seem to have caught on like the cattle mutilations right it seems is there something inherently tied to the cattle i guess is what i'm wondering well i i think well, a real telling uh statistic is that virtual genetic match between cattle hemoglobin and human hemoglobin i think that's a, a really um uh, under-realized and under-emphasized point in, in all of this. Um, I, I, I think that, that that could be a real kind of an Achilles heel to the, uh, to the whole scenario being, being finally solved. Uh, and, and as far as chickens, I've never heard of a chicken mutilation. <laughs> I actually was a chicken okay. picker in, uh, in high school. Every three months I would go to the local chicken farm, and they'd pay me 20 bucks off the books an hour, to go in and grab, you know, you go into a barn filled with, you know, I don't know how many hundred thousand chickens, you know, that are right at that roaster size and in the dark with these, like, eerie blue little light bulbs on all the posts. You go in and you stoop down and you grab four in each hand you know, by the leg and then you carry them over and stuff them into the crate. And then one day, 
I, I, I thought to myself after doing this, you know, three or four times with a respirator, the methane was so overpowering, you'd have to wear a respirator to do this work. Uh, and 20 bucks an hour in the, in the 70s was a lot of money for a high school kid, by the way. Um, yeah. So I, I, I asked the driver, well, where do you take all these chickens? He goes, hey, uh, you, what you doing? You want to go? And I said, sure. And so I went with him Uh-oh. to the factory where these chickens were going. And I walked through and saw the entire process, and I never picked another chicken in my <laughs> – that was it. I went, holy moly. Of course, one time – well, actually, the last time I went in there, and I'll, I'll, I probably shouldn't say this on the online, but um, I ate mushrooms. Okay. And uh, I was all tripped out. Uh, you know, I'm junior in high school in 74, so I guess I have an excuse. Uh, yeah, yeah, we all did crazy stuff in high school. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, and I, I went chicken. You know, my my chicken picking gig was you know it's three straight nights that I would do this every three months, and uh, so I went in there, and uh, and the chickens told me they said, you know, I would grab them, they go help, and then I I carry them, and they go no 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 anything but this no 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 no, and they were talking to me, and it was like very disturbing, and so I thought well maybe I should go check out where they go. <laughs> and, oh my uh, god, that's weird, man. I, it probably sounded like a total raven lunatic here, but no, I'm I'm being honest. You know, uh, I did do this, and uh, I was so appalled. And that was back before it really got industrialized. I mean, now chickens aren't even. I, somebody told me, you know, KFC has to call itself uh, KFC because they don't really actually serve chicken anymore. Uh, that's been debunked on on Snopes, but. Uh, uh, you know, they have new life forms that are now sold as chickens. They have these huge oversized breasts. They have no beaks, no feathers. Uh, they they live in one place their entire lives, uh, wired to a perch. Um, you know, they can't move. Um, and uh, I guess scientifically you really can't call them chickens because they've been genetically modified into a new organism. Um, so... And pump full of antibiotics and, you know, who knows uh, what else, uh, probably growth hormones and other things. Uh, you know, I don't want to come down on, you know, any sort of industry. I don't want to, you know, get myself in trouble. Um, I, I don't have a million dollars to fight a beef industry lawsuit like, like Oprah had to do. She won the case, but it cost her a million dollars. Uh, I eat meat. I love chicken. I love beef. I love uh, wild game. As long as it's west of the Continental Divide, I'll eat elk, elk and deer. Anything east of the Continental Divide, uh, elk and deer, you're taking your life in your hands if you don't have that animal tested for chronic wasting disease, transmissible spongiform encephalopathy, prions. Prions uh, were discovered by Stanley Prusner and named, and he won the Nobel Prize for Medicine, I think in 98 or 99. The guy that introduced TSE into this country in the 50s was Daniel Guchek, who was like a James Bond of uh, the medical field. He brought back brains of diseased 4A tribespeople in Papua New Guinea. They would eat the brains of their ancestors when they died, their grandparents or whatever. When they died, they'd have a ritual and eat the brains, and they would get this this uh, TSE uh, called um, Kuru, was the actual name uh, for it then. And he brought it back to the... Uh, you know, to Fort Detrick, uh, the Army Chemical Corps, the guys that, uh, you know, probably are now running Plum Island, some of these bio bioweapons facilities that aren't 
legal, you know, internationally legal. Um, but back then, uh, we hadn't signed the uh, the treaty uh, to ban biological weapons testing, etc. So uh, these brains were experimented on, and there's some evidence to suggest that uh, the animals that were being uh, infected with these uh, prion uh, diseases um, escaped into the environment, uh, or the prions escaped into the environment. And you have your first outbreak of, uh, of prion disease in the environment in 67 uh, next door to a biophysical laboratory in Colorado and in southern uh, Wyoming. I go into all this in the book. This is based on the work of Colm Kelleher, who was the uh, managing director for NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Sciences. He wrote an excellent book that I recommend called Brain Trust, which ties the whole mad cow disease uh, question into the mutilation phenomenon. A very good book. It should have done a lot better. But again, books like this, people don't want to know. This is a closet subject. Out of sight, out of mind. I don't want to know. When I go to McDonald's, that there could be, you know, Wendy's or Burger King, there could be hundreds of different uh, animals uh, represented in a single uh, beef patty. People don't want to know this. Ignorance is bliss. And unfortunately, that kind of thinking is uh, potentially catastrophic, and it could be uh, uh, coming back to, to bite us uh, wherever we don't want to get bit. Yeah, it seems like there's something brewing under the surface, and we just hope that, uh, you know, you just don't know what, you just don't know really what, we're not going to really know, I'm afraid, until, like, generations from now. You know what I mean? It's like, for all we know, I keep throwing these crazy theories out there, but like you said, there's no theory that really is, is uh, can be discounted. No, but, like, for all we know, this this whole autism thing could be traced back to whatever they were trying to figure out with the cattle. It's like, we just right. don't know yet what's really going on. Well, how about the 6,000% in dementia deaths in this country? Dementia is one of the main symptoms of mad cow disease. Basically what happens is the prions misfold and cause other, other proteins. Proteins misfolding is what a prion uh, disease is. Proteins uh, are a 1,000 times smaller than the smallest virus. And if you kick off TSE, it, it, proteins start to misfold and they cause other proteins to misfold and that creates holes in nerve tissue. So your brain kind of gets spongy like a Swiss cheese and that it interrupts synaptic function. You, know, you forget to tell yourself to breathe and, and normally you die of pneumonia or some you know, invasive infectious uh, uh, disease uh, as a you know, opportunistic uh, infectious disease. But isn't it interesting, the last 20 years we've seen a 6,000% increase in dementia deaths, whether by Alzheimer's or, or other um, uh, maladies that create dementia, these people aren't autopsied, so we don't really know. Uh, there is uh, tantalizing evidence to suggest that there is a hidden epidemic of prion disease already existent in the population. Uh, it takes up to 40 years for some genetic types to uh, develop full-blown symptomatic um, uh, TSE. So it, it, it's in, it, once you get it, you're going to get it, and you're going to die. Certain genetic types, uh, they die within eight months. Certain genetic types, it takes up to 10 years. Others, it takes up to 40 years. But eventually, you're going to die of these uh, misfolded proteins. Now, they're now considered the smallest life form, but there's a problem. How do you define life? Life can replicate, right? And because it's alive, you can kill it. You can't kill prions. All you can do is, is render them inert. So even though they're classified as a life form, 
if you can't kill it with 2,000 degree heat or 1,800 degree heat, uh, you know, you have to kind of redefine what a life form is. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's scary stuff. We're dealing with some scary stuff here, man. And like I said, it's like the cattle part of the cattle mutilations is scarier than the, than the mutilations almost. So it's a it's a two pronged uh, two pronged issue. So it's yeah. troubling stuff. Well, in the new book, you're going to look at the, you're going to sort of synthesize this data and try and see if you can come up with anything. You know, well, we've already, any sort of direction already, to go down? Yeah, we've already, we've already, uh, we're well on our way on that. Uh, and of course, these health and environmental issues are very important. In the, in, you know, in, I think will be very important when you look at the analytical process and what we come up with. We're still working on it. Uh, we're doing a lot of research. David Perkins, again, uh, one of the most brilliant, creative people ever in this field of, of the paranormal. Um, he's he's just off off the scale, uh, insightful, extremely uh, extremely insightful. And man, talk about a researcher! That guy did more research in the last three months of my book than I did almost in the entire book. I mean, he stepped up and really kicked ass for me. He really did. Yeah. And we both agreed that uh, you know the follow up book to this, um, we're going to exhaust all efforts to really objectively. Make a note of that. Objectively look at this information, all this data, and really look dispassionately at the theories and see what sticks and see if we can start proportioning blame. X amount of cases seem to be uh, done for this particular reason by these, this, this group. These cases uh, are, you know, percentage-wise are, are responsible uh, by, you know, by this group. And we're really going to try to proportion uh, agenda proportion groups uh, in terms of the amount of impact that they have in this in total mystery. It's really uh, I, I chose the subtitle very carefully for stocking the herd. It's unraveling the cattle mutilation mystery because there is no one size fits all answer, and the follow up books can explain explain that a lot better. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot like the UFO phenomenon. It could be A, B, C, D, and all. Most likely, it's all of the above. It's it's a real it's a real mess. It's a real mess. I give you kudos for looking at it because I know, you know, like you said, when you, you, you sign the contract afterwards, you regret it. It's like I can I can see how and why because once you dig into this, you're like, you, it's like trying to unravel, uh, you know, Christmas tree lights. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or, you know, I'm a keyboard player, so it's like trying to unravel all my freaking chords at the end of a gig, you know, sometimes. It's like a giant morass of a spider's nest full of cables and stuff. And, and uh, you know, I I really do feel that uh, you know our combined efforts, David is uh, you know we're going on, you know he's been involved forty years, I've been involved twenty years, so that's sixty years of experience um, that is being you know applied to this particular mystery. And I invite Linda, I invite Chuck Zukowski, Linda Howe, Margie Kay, Jean Bilodeau, uh Fern Brazil, uh, Peter Jordan, Tommy Bland. Uh, Tom Adams, uh, the people that have done a lot of work over the years, for decades, some of them, um, uh, attempting to do this. But this field is very small. There's very few people that are willing to to do this work. And uh, a number of them have fallen by the wayside, either by suicide, uh, becoming born again, uh, totally turning their back on it and say, don't ever call me about this subject again. Ted Oliphant has totally dropped out. 
uh, Philip Hoyle from the Animal uh, Field uh, Pathology Unit uh, in England who investigated a whole bunch of sheep mutilations in England where there are no coyotes, there are no predators. How do you explain, <laughs> you know, cases where there are no scavengers and predators, uh, uh, at least, you know, obvious ones. Um, a lot of these people have turned their back on this. It, it, this is a really difficult, mind-warping subject that, that, that um, has a very high attrition rate. Um, I, you know, I, I personally look at it more as a, as a uh, it's like a game of chess. I, 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 I'm able to stand back from it uh, to the degree that I don't, buy into anything i just i just i'm very dispassionate about it so it doesn't really affect me i think like it does some people who really get wrapped up into it i mean poor gary massey blew his brains out a few years ago um you know there there is a high attrition rate uh and but again i think it's a, a the only way we're really going to solve this is with a concerted team effort i can't do it alone i need the help of linda i need the help of chuck and margie i want their input I want David Perkins uh, to 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 really riff and and challenge me. I come up with the theory. Okay, hold on, Chris. Well, let me jump in here because we're going to lose the live audience in like 20 seconds. So let's uh, can we keep chatting for a little bit longer? Sure. All right. Well, let me just plug through the plug in here. OurStrangePlanet.com is the website, and stalking the herd, unraveling the cattle mutilation mystery is the book. Check it out, folks. It's tremendous. Like Chris was saying, it's massive. You could you could beat someone to death with this thing if you if you needed to. So you could. <laughs> oh, good one. <laughs> you, could. you could use it to set up a mutilation. You could you know that's you know just take down a cow with it and then go to town on the mutilating. So uh, oh, can, on that note, we lost the live audience there just now during that exchange. So. Uh, I will thank all the folks in the chat room. We had a huge turnout uh, in the chat room, and, and we're still we're oh, still cool. rolling here on the program, but we're not live. Uh, we have no no more live okay. listeners at the moment. They'll they'll pick us okay. up on MP3. But uh, yeah, definitely team effort. I see what you're saying there. It's a tough 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 challenge in the paranormal community though, because it seems like people hoard evidence, and you know they they want to be the one that well, they, breaks it. So become, they become vested in a particular theory. Hmm. <laughs> Right. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and then they throw out all the stuff that doesn't work for their theory, and the next thing you know, you know, you're not getting a clear picture of what's really going on. Yeah. I thought the one thing I wanted to mention was uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that you uh, you advocated for a change in the name of the phenomenon to uh, unexplained animal deaths rather than cattle mutilation. Right. And I totally am right. on your side with this. I'm I'm completely on your side. I think, although I, I as the you know, I think you you took it to several researchers and they kind of shot it down because they didn't think it was possible. I see their point of view too. It's a very difficult task, but uh, if you can move away from cattle mutilations, you might be able to get people more, you know, turned on to the idea because they wouldn't have that the baggage attached to it. Right. Well, the word mutilation, very by just on its own, is is off putting, and, and it's it's the task of trying to uh, come up with a more generic term like unexplained uh, animal deaths or unexplained livestock death is like the effort that's been going on for a number of years to change UFO to uh, UAP, unexplained aerial phenomenon, or AAO, anomalous aerial phenomenon, uh, or, or anonymous aerial uh, object. Uh, it's the same kind of uphill battle. Once that meme gets planted in the culture, it's very difficult to... Uh, 
you know, to turn the battleship with a with a single oar in the water, you know. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I'm 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 trying to uh, get the stigma off of it because mutilation is is you know people you know they hear that word and it's like unless they're watching uh, you know some TV show about a serial killer, I mean it, it's very off putting. So you know, I've been attempting to uh, to try to be more objective, to be more dispassionate, to try to be less sensationalistic about it, and uh, and try to to make it so that it's we need another generation of investigators to take the baton and move, you know, tote the rock down the field or whatever, you know. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm. I'm 57 years old. I, I this is the last thing in the world. Uh, I, I'm 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 tired of of doing this uh, in many ways. I mean, I, I I've retired from field investigating of of, of necrotic flesh, a uh, thousand pounds of physical evidence in the field. I, I it's the most abhorrent, uh, least uh, my least favorite activity is actually going out and investigating uh, a dead rotting. Uh, you know, animal. I I I can't stand it. Uh, it it just. I have to put Vicks vapor rub under my nose uh, and and make sure I'm standing upwind. Uh, <laughs> it's just really oh, unpleasant. Somebody is, but somebody's got to do it. Uh, and if nobody's going to step up to the plate, you know, what are we left with? We're left with a, an emerging health crisis, an emerging uh, environmental crisis that's being downplayed by the media. It's being ignored by by the government. Uh, publicly, uh, it, it's been totally co-opted by by the the beef trust and and powerful uh, political, uh, you know the the political imp- implications, uh, uh, you know the FDA, uh, you know the uh, you know the Food and Drug Administration, the uh, uh, you know the the governmental bodies that are that are you know behind the safety of, of health and, uh, and, and wellness in this country have been totally bought off and are populated by, by you know, the people that are, you know, stand to, uh, you know, gain from uh, slam dunking legislation through, you know, uh, like GMOs, for instance. Uh, if right. you look at uh, the FDA and how many people used to work at Monsanto that are involved with the FDA uh, and the... Uh, Oh, you know, that's the, just a mess. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, so well, you know, it's, it's an up, uphill battle. This, the the Oprah thing. Now, I presume I'm not too familiar with it, but I presume she was she was railing on factory farms and that kind of stuff, right? She wasn't talking about no, cattle meat. No, 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 no. She what she was talking about is mad cow disease, and she oh, had uh, okay. Howard. All right. She had the mad the mad uh, cowboy. Uh, I think Howard Lyman on her show. Uh, doing the oh, show in Texas on uh, yeah on 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 site, and after she had uh, heard all this uh, just totally mind warping information about mad cow disease, she just innocently blurted out, "Oh my God, I'll never eat another hamburger again." <laughs> "Quote unquote," I'll never eat right, another right. hamburger again, and she got a two billion dollar lawsuit, which took almost a year to beat, and it cost her a million dollars. Right, I guess the the, the... The, the carryover to that too is like, I think that was like a powerful message from the beef industry. It probably scared a lot of people into even beyond just uh, just the bad coward, even touching anything involving the, the beef industry. You know, when they come down hard on you with a lawsuit like that, it's like some local station's not going to dig into the cattle mutilation mystery because they're like they're afraid of the beef industry. I assume. Well, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, although you know, the fourth estate 
should be Teflon when it comes to this. If they're just reporting the facts and not, you know, doing op-ed pieces uh, on it, um, they should be uh, above any sort of uh, legal act action, I would hope. Although in this day and age, with the uh, highly compromised media that we have that's, uh, you know, being obviously, uh, you know, consolidated uh, into some very powerful uh, media ownership here in this country, um, which is a whole <laughs> subject of another that's show. That's another whole issue, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, if they're just reporting on something, that's one thing. If they're if they're giving their opinion about it, that's something else. So, you know, what I'm doing, uh, attempting to do here is I'm I'm trying to report on on this subject and the cultural and health and environmental implications of the subject and say, hey, people, this ain't just about a dead cow missing soft tissue organs lying in a field. This is emblematic and indicative of something far more important, far more entrenched in the culture, something that we really need to be looking at and discussing and investigating further. We need new blood in this field. We need new thinkers. We need people that are coming into this with a fresh perspective, with, with, with new ideas, with new approaches, uh, with, new tool, with a new toolkit, uh, if you will, uh, to look at this. I invite anybody out there, uh, you know, now in the chat room uh, to, you know, if you live in a rural area where there's cattle, keep your eyes and ears open and uh, let's network. Back in the 70s when this was going hot and heavy, there was a major network of people uh, private investigators, uh, reporters, law enforcement officials, p- politicians, uh, crime lab uh, technicians, uh, veterinary pathologists, and, and veterinarians that were actually working together, keeping each other informed, uh, making sure everybody was up to speed on what was going on. We don't have that now. That is all, uh, you know, that's all ancient history. So we need to yeah. reinvigorate ourselves and 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 bring new thinking uh, into this. I I I I if you read this book and you come away with it thinking that this is still Monday and scavenger action, you know, I uh, I don't know what to tell you. Uh you need to definitely uh go to revisit your uh, your logic uh, classes in college or something. Uh it just it's just too huge. It's too pervasive. It's worldwide. It's happening in Christian countries. There are, there are no Indian cattle being mutilated. That that should you know be a ding ding ding. You know that should set a bell off in somebody's head somewhere. And if it does, contact me. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a strange it's a strange mystery. You won't, you wonder if uh, we'll ever get to the bottom of it. Hope that we do, or else uh, we don't want to be like <laughs> wiped out as a civilization because of some disease, and then we look back and we're like, oh, they were trying to solve it with the cattle mutilations. Damn, man. Um, I yep. want to ask you about Louis Thoreau because I, I loved I loved his old uh, show, and I <laughs> was reading the book here and saw that you saw that you took him out on a cattle mutilation uh, investigation. What's Louis like, and what was that whole thing like? Oh, that was that was so much fun. Um, oh, that was great. What a great story. Um, he came out to to you know poke fun at me, and you know he had a great show called Louis Thoreau's Weird Weekend. Yeah, uh, it was a top show on the BBC and uh, Sunday night, so really big audience. And uh, you know, he in this in the same show that I was on, he had the militia group that was uh, formed to uh, protect the aliens when they finally arrive. He had the the two uh, competing uh, claims that for the Roswell site. He had uh, 
you know, a, a new age channeler who was channeling ETs. Uh, and then he had me. And when he came out, you know, because I'm pretty on the ball, I, you know, and I, I've done a lot of TV, um, I knew what he was going for, and I just wouldn't give it to him. I would not give him any sort of, you know, ammunition to, to poke fun at me. I was very careful. And so, you know, he spent a couple of days with me, and he finally gave up and said, well, you know, okay, well, we're out of here. But if something happens, we're going to be in the U.S. for another week or so. Uh, give us a call. And sure enough, I had a mutilation report the day before he was supposed to return back to England with his crew. And I said, Louie, hey, I got a case. It's a real case. Uh, the county sheriff asked me to help them out. Uh, if you want, you can come out. And he did. He came out. We went out to the site. It was brutally cold. It was like in the you know, 30s, 40, 50 mile an hour wind, no, no cover, nasty conditions. There's a mutilated cow. The eye socket uh, was excised. The uh, mandible flesh was gone. The rear end was cored out and bubbling, almost made the uh, camera person puke. Uh, all the gas in the animals escaping through torn uh, soft tissue organs in the rear end and uh, very gross. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going about doing my, my investigation with the cameras rolling, and he's quizzing me the whole time. And uh, I forgot to, to hit pause on my camera. I had it in record mode, but I forgot to turn it on, you know, hit the pause so it started recording. So the whole scene, you know, a couple of hours of investigation was not recorded like I normally do with a video camera. So anyway, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself there, though. Anyway, at one point, uh, the rancher shows up. Um, and he, he finally comes out to the scene with his dog. The dog hops out of the truck and starts licking the blood from the, the excised eye socket. And Louie just lost it. He goes, oh, my God, that dog is licking the blood out of the eye socket of a mutilated cow. That image will stay with me all my life. <laughs> he starts retching into his hand. And I'm just cracking up. And uh, the rancher's looking at me like, who the hell is this guy? And And so... So anyway, we do the whole investigation. It was part of the bovine excision site study that uh, by the Pinelandia Biophysics Lab conducted, uh, William C. Levengood. This is one of the, the bellwether cases of the study. Uh, I had the BBC document all my soil uh, sample taking, all my plant sample taking, the forensic uh, samples uh, that I, I took. Uh, they documented the whole thing. They went back to England. Um, I turned in my samples, and then I, I realized, oh, my God, I didn't record any of this on the video. So I called him up and said, Louie, uh, you know, you screwed me up, man. You, you threw me out of my, my game here. I, 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 I don't have any footage. Uh, you you got to help me out here, bro. So he sent me all all the raw footage of, oh, awesome. of the investigation. And so just to, you know, kind of make sure that uh, – I had the last laugh. I did a transcription of the entire conversation that went on during the investigation and published it in my book. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's in there. It's great. It's great. It took three three months for me to get a release form from the BBC, and they made me take out all the swear words. <laughs> and when the, when the show came out and I got a copy of it, they were going around the country poking fun at all these people. And, boy, when they got to my segment... I was the one cracking the jokes. Nice, <laughs> so nice. it's the only comedy. It's the only comedy show I've ever done. I turned down uh, John Stewart, uh, The Daily Show. I almost did Letterman, uh, but but it, it turned out that uh, something happened. They 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 canceled my flights, and I, I didn't fly out. I actually almost did Letterman, believe it or not. And 
you know, the Daily Show, when they first got started in the late 90s, they were going to send one of their roving reporters out to me, and I said, no, nah, I don't think so. Um, and I've only done one comedy show, uh, so <laughs> it turned out pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, the, BBC, uh, the BBC Boys in the Wild West, I think I, I titled the chapter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. It was... Uh... It was a nice move. I, I like I said, I'm a big Louis Thoreau fan. Sounds like he was a pretty cool guy, though. though so at least he, he was. was a yeah, we had a great time. Yeah, no, no, he, 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 you know, he. I told him right straight up. Look, Louis, I'm a serious investigator. I'm doing this objectively as possible. Uh, I know what you're after. I'm not going to give it to you, but uh, let's have some fun anyway. And and he was cool with that. He was there, and and he was you know on side of a real case. Uh, so. Yeah. You know, it was you know when that cameraman saw the uh, the gases bubbling out the rear end of that cow. Uh, I mean, that Louis all of a sudden realized, oh my God, you know, life isn't all just a big chuckle and a big joke. This is real. And when he saw that, yeah. that rancher kind of choked up, saying, "They could have taken any of my cows. Why did they take my best breeding cow? She was my best cow." And he was like, "Holy shit, this guy, you know, he's almost like big burly rancher, you know." you know kind of choking back tears i mean it, it got yeah. real for him real fast yeah especially the wind i got 40 mile an hour wind at 35 degrees <laughs> yeah i'll say now you said earlier that there were cases of um ranchers you know uh taking out other other ranchers cattle to uh to you know to to no. cut the legs off from under them let's say is it possible that this is part of some larger agenda just where the beef industry wants to consolidate its power so because you said earlier that the the a lot of the ranches from like the seventies and stuff where this happened, they're all they've already gone under and stuff. Is it possible that this was sort of like a just a a, a wait a means to an end to sort of consolidate the the big beef company's power by by taking out the little places? I, I think if you look at it uh with blinders on in, in particular regions, uh that there is some evidence to suggest that there there is some culpability there. In terms of an overall blanket interpretation of the entire mystery, no, no, not at all. But I think in certain regions and in certain specific scenarios, there's a, some some really slam dunk evidence. In fact, the Taylor Ranch uh, case cases uh, in um, Costilla County, uh, outside of San Luis, Colorado, uh, this rich uh, North Carolina rancher came in and bought, managed to wrangle private ownership of only one of two commons areas in the, in the United States. The most famous is the Boston Common, and the other was the uh, La Sierra Common in Costilla County. And he managed private ownership in the early 60s, and instead of the locals being able to go up and hunt and gather firewood, he, he fenced it off and nobody could go up there. And then he tried to expand the ranch. And his nearest neighbor suffered 49 cattle shot, stolen, or mutilated in two weeks. Now, Jesus. I have two two county sheriffs that have gone on the record saying John Taylor Sr. was responsible for aiding and abetting helicopter crews that were coming down and mutilating cattle on Ch- in the Chama Creek area right below his ranch. They've gone on uh, they've stated it publicly. If we had enough political power and resources, we would have gone after this guy legally. He ended up getting shot and uh and died uh, uh Fairly soon after uh, Taylor, uh, you know the rich uh, North Carolina rancher. Yeah. So uh, that's a, it's a major story that uh, was never really, uh, you know, picked up on. I'm the first person to come up with 
law enforcement officials, not one but two, naming an individual that they felt they had almost enough evidence to take to, to court that he was involved in the cattle mutilation phenomenon. And, and when, that, when I printed that in my first book, I was shocked that nobody picked up on it. It's like I was the first person to actually get law enforcement to name somebody that they felt they had enough evidence to almost take to court uh, to charge with uh, aiding and abetting uh, in a conspiracy um, uh, these, these particular cattle deaths in that area. And uh, you go up to uh, the Greeley area in northeastern uh, Colorado, Weld County. Uh, there's some pretty interesting cases up there uh, around Sterling. Uh, there's other cases. Um, down in South America, I wouldn't be surprised if we came up with uh, some evidence uh, that would suggest that there's uh, some beef concern that's uh, driving out smaller ranchers. Uh, I don't know this. Um, this is all part of yeah. the... Uh, the anal- analyzing process that we were undergoing for the second book. But but this is something that's never been broached as a particular, uh, you know, subject of culpability here. Uh, no one has ever mentioned the political societal, you know, agenda of manipulating uh, the ranching community. And 70% of the small independent ranchers uh, that were in existence in 75, 76 are out of business now, and in their place are huge industrialized feedlots. Yeah. Makes you wonder. Really does make you wonder. Now I got one last question. Is it possible? I, I presume you may have gone down this route, but is there anything to be gained? Because I'm, I'm eternally skeptical about this avenue, but uh, it's always worth trying. Is there anything to be gained through freedom of information requests uh, surrounding all this stuff? And has there been any attempt? I've got about a two-pound file from the FBI on cattle mutilations. Uh, of course, John Greenwald at the Black Vault. Um, has uh, uncovered uh, quite a bit of information uh, from the government uh, through FOIA. I've got the entire file. Uh, Nick Redfern came up with some very tantalizing information from the 40s about bacteriological warfare experiments on cattle to protect us from possible um, you know, attacks uh, with bioweapons. Uh, this yeah. type of uh, thinking goes all the way back to the 40s. Nick did a great job coming up with some information, uh, some of which I used in the uh, in stalking the herd. Uh, Nick's an unsung hero in this. He was really helpful with me, uh, uh, for me in in coming up with some very interesting uh, uh, documentation. Uh, some he's really good with FOIA. Uh, him and, and John Greenwald. I mean, God, they're unsung heroes in this field. Uh, more. Uh, kudos should be going out to them for for the amount of work that they've done, especially on Nick's part, being an expat, you know, and, and being an, an Englishman in Texas. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know how the heck he's able to shoehorn some of the you know, documents out of the government, but he's and John too. I mean, John Greenwald, in my estimation, is one of the most important young people in this field. We need more people like like John to come out. Micah Hanks is somebody else that I really respect. Micah is incredibly bright, uh, really good thinker, analytical, uh, young guy that's uh, motivated, very articulate. You know, we need more Micahs and Nicks and, and John Greenwalds and you, Tim, uh, your efforts on this show. I mean, you have some of the best guests that you could possibly imagine on the show. And, and my hat's off to you for exposing people like me and others uh, out there to the public and, and, and getting people to really get out of their freaking armchairs and get busy. Become part of the solution, not just some, you know, you know, couch potato. You yeah. Know, we need well, we got to get the word out okay. about this stuff. That's the, yeah, that's the yeah. whole it, it, driving it, it, force behind this. 
but you know, we need motivation. You know, come on, you know. Yeah. Life isn't just sitting yeah. looking at your thumbs on a damn smartphone. <laughs> well, that's that. Uh, yeah, we've talked about that all, all on the show forever. The smartphone invasion that's going on. It's a sad state of affairs. Thankfully, there's still you know people out there who listen to this show and your show and other shows that are. I want to be engaged in all this. So you know whether we get to the bottom of it or not, who knows? But at least there's people who are no. still engaged in it. But all mm-hmm. right, well, I will uh, find out. You... What's that? Said, there's only one way we're going to find out, and that's by getting to it. Absolutely, that's right. We gotta we gotta really take a look at all this stuff. Take a fresh look at it. That's the. Do you think that? I guess before I was about to let you go, but I was thinking this too while we were talking. Do you, you, just, you always hope that like that 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 this cattle mutilation thing will get maybe like a second chance. I've always advocated for a second chance for UFOs from the mainstream. I mean, like, is there a chance? Is there a possibility that this could? The way the media is, you hope that it would, like, have some kind of renaissance in a way, you know? Maybe your book will spawn yeah. that. But you, yeah. you'd hope that, like, you know, that the media is always looking for some crazy story to, to, to beat the drum about for a while. I know they're, no, they're the wild media, about Ebola right now. No, it's like, no, they're, they're, they can't believe no, they wait picked a minute, up on wait a minute. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. The media is concerned with uh, Lindsay Lohan's latest accident, uh, the size of Kim <laughs> Kardashian's ass, and uh, whether, uh, you know... Uh, you know, so-and-so is uh, actually going to divorce so-and-so. I mean, the consolidation of media control in the Western world is is just ap- apocalyptic. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous uh, how controlled editorial, you know, the editorial control that's exerted uh, in the media now. We, we're looking at four or five co- corporations that pretty much control uh, the media in this country. The only way it's going to get legs is if we have grassroots investigators, you know, uh, driving this thing from a local and regional level. Uh, the national media, international media is already bought and sold. Okay, there's no way that the corporate interests are going to, you know, lock horns with the beef industry. <laughs> okay. So you're very, I got the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> they're okay. going with the herd. And they're not going to get a cow over it because it's a bunch of BS. There you go. All right. So you're so you're so you're so you're skeptical or or dare I say cynical that they'll that the media would pick up on this again now. Uh, it 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 it's well, trapped in the in a bubble now anyway because it's already got yeah. that. They have the uh, the report they could just cite and it's like it's the same thing with the UFOs. It's like you're citing these reports from like the 70s and 80s. It's it's been like 30 plus years. Why don't we do a new? Let's take another look at it. But they never do. It's very frustrating. <laughs> It's like UFOs. If a UFO landed on the White House lawn, that would be a news story. If we had a wave of cattle mutilations that rivaled 75, 76, 77, you're darn right that, that uh, the ranching community, uh, what if you can call it that now, uh, but there are a lot of still a lot of independent ranchers, the ranching community would raise holy hell because they know what they're looking at. These guys are professional uh, livestock uh, raisers. They, you know, they're not as dumb as the debunkers like to think. Uh, sure, Media-induced hysteria can, you know, you know, you know, promote uh, questionable cases. But the bottom line is, these guys are in business to make money. A dead cow is a lost investment, and uh, the local ranching community, if they get hit with the kinds of numbers that were we saw in the 70s of real cases, not just the media-induced cases, but the real cases, 
If they get hit with those kinds of numbers, you're darn right there's going to be a, a media renaissance, and it's going to spring from the, from the grassroots uh, local level up, not from the top down, from the, from the national media down. It's going to be, it's going to be an upswelling of, of local and regional indignation. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what you hope happens, you know. We really need uh, something to happen. So I, I wish that on my 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 you know my worst uh, cattle ranching enemy. <laughs> I wouldn't want them to have to deal with this. Are you kidding? I'm I'm, I'm okay. I'm glad. So well, see now you're you're caught in a, you're caught in like a quandary here because it, it's exactly. like the only way to really yeah that's a tough spot to be. In. I see what you're saying. No way, man. If all of a sudden you know I've I've consulted to uh, law enforcement uh, agencies around the country. And, uh, you know, I don't want to go out on cattle mutilation cases. I want young bucks that are willing to do the kind of work that it takes to do it properly. I want them to get trained, and I'll organize them, and I'll, I'll network with them, and I'll, I'll dispatch them. But I'm telling you, man, it is the least, uh, the least, uh, the, the worst thing that I could possibly imagine doing. If I had to go out tomorrow on a cattle mutilation, I really would be uh, bummed. I really would. However, it's going to take a huge upwelling of cases to create the kind of groundswell that it's going to take to get official, you know, academic and scientific and governmental uh, uh, recognition of a problem and uh, ponying up the resources to deal with it, unless they're the ones that are culpable. Exactly. Yeah, that's the challenge. All right, man. Well, I've held you for almost an extra half hour. I really do appreciate it. Uh, But there was so much stuff here and I. Yeah, I, mean, I, I you know what gotten... I should note here because uh, it's been sort of a stuttered conversation because the Skype. I think there's a delay on the Skype, so when I talk, it takes you a minute to hear me. So things have been kind of stuttered tonight, but uh, but it's been an amazing conversation. So I have no complaints. Um, OurStrangePlanet.com is the website, correct, sir? Right. That's correct. And the book, as we've said numerous times here on the show tonight, "Stalking the Herd: Unraveling the Cattle Mutilation Mystery." Also, the other book, right. Stalking the Tricksters, and uh, Mysterious Valley books. What, what, what are the titles for those? I don't have them in front of me uh, right here. Yeah, the Mysterious Valley, Enter the Valley, and uh, the kind of uh, summation book, uh, Secrets of the Mysterious Valley. And um, I will sign and number. I'm only going to do 1,000 copies of the original printing uh, with signatures. So if you want a signed, numbered copy of Stalking the Herd, go to OurStrangePlanet.com. And of course, tune in uh, to the Paracast uh, dot com for uh, you know cutting edge again, like Tim's show, cutting edge at guests and uh, and and uh, real objective analytical thinking and asking tough questions. Uh, this this is important. Uh, you're like the sixty minutes of the paranormal, just like we are, and we appreciate your efforts, Tim. Absolutely, man, and I appreciate you coming on the show. So thank you very much. I will. Uh, I guess I'll let you get going because now just comes the plug. So thanks again for coming on the show. And once again, throw the plug in, Stalking the Herd, Unraveling the Cattle Mutilation Mystery. As we said, folks, this book is massive. Go out and get it. It is the definitive book on the cattle mutilation mystery. It's not just a relic from the 70s, folks. It's a very strange enigma which continues to this day. So thank you once again for coming on the show, Chris. Cool, Tim. Thank you. All right, folks, there you go. You just listened to 2.5 hours here with Christopher O'Brien talking about stalking the herd, unraveling the cattle mutilation mystery. If you're checking out the program via blog, talk, radio, and you have no idea what this is, we are banalofamerica.com. 
You can find out more from us at banalofamerica.com. Pretty simple. B-I-N-N-A-L-L-O of America.com. We're also on Facebook. Just punch in Banal of America. That'll bring it up. That's where you can find out the latest on BOA and what we've got cooking in the weeks and months ahead. As I said, you just listened to a 2.5-hour conversation here with Chris O'Brien live on Blog Talk Radio and it was absolutely free for all of our listeners all over the world, as is our 200-plus episode archive. The way we do that, the way we make that possible, is via donations from the BOA Audio listeners. How can you donate? How can you help out that simple? Head on over to Banal of America and click the PayPal button. That will bring you to PayPal. It's safe, secure, and simple. They will walk you through the process. And if you don't trust the Internet, you don't want to get catfished or what have you, and you want to just make a donation via P.O. Box, you can do that as well. The address is at Banal of America. Just punch in BanalofAmerica.com, and you'll find the P.O. Box at BOA, the P.O. Box address. Uh, As I said at the very beginning of the program, this was Episode 832 of Season 8, and traditionally we wrap up the Season with episode 833, but I'm not planning on getting to that show till the very end of October. So for the first time ever, BOA Audio is going to have some bonus episodes here on season eight. Actually, more likely just one bonus episode, and that'll probably be coming at you in about two weeks. I've just about got all the T's crossed and I's dotted on that episode. It's going to be kind of different for BOA Audio. We're going to be delving into the realm a little bit of pop culture, but also conspiracy as well. You know we like to do these fringe editions of the program. So for the bonus episode here on Season 8, it'll almost certainly be coming at you on October 20th, which will be a Monday, and it'll all make sense when I tell you more about it in a few days or weeks or so, because as I said, it's about two weeks away, and I want to make sure we get it absolutely locked in before I make any specific announcement about the guest or anything like that. That'll be coming at you, hopefully, October 20th. That's a Monday night. And then we are looking at wrapping up the season of BOA Audio, Season 8. Hopefully, we'll be coming to a close at the end of October. I've got the season finale guest already all set up, but I want to do a couple of more things before we get into all that as well. It's very early here in the month of October, folks. Who knows what may happen as we get towards the season finale, but we're looking at wrapping the whole thing up here at the end of October, right before Halloween. And as always, stay tuned to Banal of America and to BOA on Facebook to find out what direction we're heading in as things unfold. So with all that said, we wrap up this edition of the program. Enormous thanks once again to Christopher O'Brien for coming on the show. OurStrangePlanet.com is the website, as you as Chris said, You can get signed copies of the new book from him there. And the new book is Stalking the Herd, Unraveling the Cattle Mutilation Mystery. This really is a must-have book for any student of the strange and unusual because it is a definitive look at the cat mute enigma. Check it out, my friends. And with all that said, thank you so much, folks, for listening. Thanks to the hardcore BOA audio listeners. You are the fuel that drives the mothership. Thank you once again for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, my friends, this is Tim Banal, thanking you for listening and 
Signing off.